You probably know the, the hits. hits. Those guys? You probably know the This is Jason. That's Jeremy. Hello. This is You Probably Know the Hits. Our uh, theme of today might be communism. Ooh. Oh, wow. In particular, our topic is Pink Floyd. Yeah. Last time, we talked about Dark Side of the Moon. We didn't talk about the act, the, the record actually getting released, and this time we're talking about like after Dark Side, right? We're going to talk about <laughs> Wish You Were Here and Animals. A, little, yeah. a, bit of a, a bit of a conflict of interest. These guys for Dark Side, I mean, they're okay. This is literally their ninth album, so they're not like completely starving when Dark Side comes out or whatever. But no. they're not mega rock stars, you know, like like top album of all time yet. And they make a song called Money. Right. A total parody. A total parody of these living large rock stars who have a whole bunch of houses. You know, think I'll buy myself a football team. Right. Bit of a conundrum. Yeah. This record sells huge, huge amounts, and our boys are caught in a crossroads of their sort of socialist ideals, their sort of, you know, uh, beliefs on how money and taxes and things should work. Uh, you know, it, it's another episode around the wall where they literally go into fucking tax, tax exile for a couple yep. of years because they don't want to pay taxes, but we're not there yet. We're not there yet. We're, we're not there. And well, there's plenty to talk about there. Cause I've, I've, uh, and, and some of the sources that I read, probably you as well, cause it sounds like it's a lot of the same information. Uh, what we read, you know, was that like Roger Waters got some criticism for buying a nice big country estate, right. uh, while espousing these kind of, more socialist, communal type ideas. And I I don't have a problem with it. I, I don't think you have to live like a poor person to think that people who don't have much should have more. Right. Um, I, I, I don't have a problem with that at all, really. Um, Roger earned it. He wrote some amazing songs that clearly resonated with a lot of people. And I have no problem with him being rewarded for that. Um, that song... And that album also probably paid the mortgages for a lot of people who were not direct members of Pink Floyd. That's true. Um, the tour paid a lot of people um, who might not have ever been a part of something that big otherwise. That's true. Um, the, you know, and it's, it's worth talking about Dark Side of the Moon because, yeah, you're right. We didn't talk about it coming out. We didn't really talk about the tour because yep. we spent four hours talking about the album. <laughs> Right, and and it was you know it was it was a great talk, but yeah, we kind of neglected that part, and maybe it's a good it's a good segue into what we're talking about today, which is wish you were here and right. animals. Yeah, and I think I think that it, I think that it really is the beginning because with wish you were here, they kind of floundered around for a little while. Uh, they they yeah. literally bought a lot of houses. I've got a quote here. It definitely was a period of conflict. Uh, for 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 the band i think i missed the gilmore one but i did copy and paste a quote here from roger where he says uh i have to accept that at that point i became a capitalist i can no longer pretend that i was a true socialist <laughs> <laughs> he uh he he 
he saved salved. I don't know how you say that word. He sa- he salved his left wing conscience by eventually siphon eventually siphoning a percentage of his earnings into a charitable trust. But okay. at the same time, like the the same segment of the book I was reading mentions that um, they they did like rent out and even let people stay at their houses, their multiple houses that they acquired, like for free or very low rent and stuff. After that, so they still kind of adhered to it. We we talked before, right, about like Gilmore making sure that Sid was always paid, for example, and all that right. stuff worked out, d- despite how like you know um, difficult that might have been. You know, depending on how hard it was to work with him at any given uh, moment, given his state and stuff, right? Um, yeah. Was this also the period where they bought the? They basically bought a warehouse to turn into their own like storage unit slash recording studio. Yep. yep. And and basically told the crew to start their own business, renting out their equipment. Yep. They were like you, and and, and it doesn't sound like Pink Floyd. We're asking for any money. They just told the guys, "Here, here's all this equipment just sitting here. You guys do something with it." Yeah, yeah. Like, the book you, I read you, you said guys... something. It said something like the half the reason they made that was so that those dudes could be kind of employed when they're not on the road and yes. stuff. Like that they could I... basically have jobs that would pay for things. And I think that ultimately it didn't like it didn't like turn a profit and like mm-hmm. did, you know long term didn't work out correct but, yeah um, I, I yeah i read the same thing that it yeah. didn't it didn't really do anything but but again listen i i think these I, I, man i i don't i don't think these are i i don't i do not see these guys as hypocrites and i think right our talk about dark side of the moon revealed how i felt about them which is a deep undying love sure um and you know w- one thing that makes me crazy is you hear things like, uh, you know, Bill Gates, he's giving away all of his money to charity and all that. No, he's not. Yeah. Yeah, There, I know I see that story all the time. Right. Uh, but you know, he's He's not living in a, he's saving a very modest, like tens of millions for his children. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) That's the thing. When he says, Oh, I'm not giving my kids anything. I don't buy that for one second. Yeah. I don't buy that. He's literally not giving them anything. No. Yeah. Um, if nothing else, he's giving them the name Gates and the fact that they are related and the fact that they can waltz into any boardroom in America and get a seat on the board and pull a pretty damn nice salary. So, and, and, you know, Bill and Melinda Gates, I, I don't know exactly what their house looks like. I suppose it's not a nice three bedroom, two bath in the suburbs. Um, I bet it's pretty nice and I bet they have a couple of pretty nice cars and I bet, uh, they live a life that you and I could not even fathom, right. despite the fact that they're quote, giving away all of their money. Sure. Um, so I, it's possible to do both. Um, it's possible to reap the rewards of, uh, of what you've done and also be generous. Sure. And I think, you know, these guys for the first time in their lives tasted some success, tasted some fame. And think about what went into that. I mean, these guys had been toiling around, probably not making much money since like 1964. Right. Right. Ten years later. A decade, right. Ten years later is when they finally make it. Um, So there is a lot of blood, sweat and tears that went into that. Right. And I think that, you know, one of my one of my thought processes that I've been thinking about that is, you know, for a, for a lot of the titans of today and stuff, the money is like stock money, right? You know, Bill Gates is worth $100 billion on paper. If he were to sure. excise that Microsoft stock, Microsoft itself would just like immediately disappear, you know, correct? Uh, because everybody lose faith in buying Microsoft and whatever, right? Right. Um, right. So it's, it's like, it's a little bit more complex than that. But 
you know, with Pink Floyd, it wasn't they had money sitting in stocks. It's they actually get royalties are pretty significant. And um, I think it's like around 76. I've got a I've got a quote here. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Around 76, it says they hired a firm of financial advisors. Um, they had to put a percentage. Let's see. Yeah, yeah. So it, depending on how much you earned, right, just like anybody, if you earn money, you know, and you don't like have tax write-offs for it, like, for example, take that money and put it back into the economy by, you know, I don't know, buying business lunches for the people who work for you or something, right? Sure. They um, they wound up putting their stuff into other ventures, this, this Britannia Row uh, recording studio slash you know, uh, equipment storage places, one of those things. But in particular, I I just thought this was an interesting quote that said, uh, the Pink Floyd's money was subsequently invested in pizza restaurants, skateboards, a security firm, a money and checkbook printing venture. Uh, With the exception of a property deal in Knightsbridge, most of these enterprises underperformed or failed dismally. Where do oh, yeah. I get a Pink Floyd skateboard that's not in Journeys at the mall? I want the real thing. I want the original. Wait, hey. Okay. And I, re- I read the same thing. Was the Dark Side Tour the one where they accepted a sponsor? I don't know. Maybe. There was one of the tours. It was Maybe it was Metal. Maybe it was Dark Side where they accepted. It was like a German beer. <laughs> and they accepted it for the first time and the last time until the 90s. They accepted a sponsorship, and they thought that they were, like, pulling one over on the man. They were like, ha-ha, we're going to take the sponsorship dollars, and then we're going to lower ticket prices. Okay. And yada, yada, yada. And then the and sponsor's like, no, you're not. It didn't work out that way at all. Right, right of course. And, and, and they had to do, like, ads where they're pushing <laughs> beer, and they immediately realized Careful what a mistake. Careful that Eugene, was brought to you by... <laughs> yes, exactly. They immediately realized what a mistake it was. Uh, to oh, to do man. it, and they they regretted it deeply. Um, uh, and, but there's pictures you can find the pictures for Pink Floyd advertising German beer, right? Uh, somewhere around that time. And, That's awesome. <laughs> and realized, wait, the, this this business world, uh, we don't know as much about it as we thought we did. Right. Uh, well, we definitely know the uh, Instagram post now, the photo to use, uh, Pink Floyd. Oh my God! Yeah, That's a, yeah. Uh, That's great. Uh, beer somewhere around 2023 when this comes out yeah yeah exactly no one's gonna (laughs) yeah Yeah. i have to remind myself no current references in these episodes yeah right definitely COVID. because the world will have moved on to something equally as terrifying by the time right who's bill gates oh man he was still alive when they (laughs) right (laughs) by the time this comes out bill gates actually will be destitute Mm -hmm. and people will be like what's he talking about bill gates has nothing (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right because all right. the bitcoin people took over it took over all everything the, all the all the gamestop stock owners now wow that so is gonna, right that's that's too dated too too dated right there that's uh, take, yeah cut that, part say, out. that is the dated comment of the century that's gonna last cut that part a out yeah. week and a half all right. yeah <laughs> all right yeah okay okay all right. anyway back on topic though yeah i don't know how much you know about the dark side stuff i got one really funny story okay the Album was apparently mixed in quadraphonic uh, sound, and, I, and yes. they're, there's, they're like famous for having even quadraphonic uh, st- uh, concerts. So let's talk about the technology of that. Mm-hmm. 
when you had an original record, you had an original radio, you know, in the 20s, the 30s, it was a single speaker. That's mono sound. Stereo sound is when you have a left and a right speaker. Yes. Right? Quadraphonic is when you've got four speakers. So it's not just sort of like if you're in your car, you have four speakers, and it sort of says front and rear. And if you turn it to the front, what it does is it just turns the volume down of the rear. But really what's happening on the left side and the right side of your car, both front and rear is the exact same thing going there. Yeah. Now, you know, DVDs have 5.1, which means there's five channels. There's like a front center one and a, a front left and a front right and a back left and a back right. There's, you know, Pink Floyd even remixed and has re- released like remasters of some of these records in 5.1 sound, which you and I, okay. it would be a damn pity if we die before we hear that configuration of these things. Because <laughs> you can take sound effects XYZ and not just make it sort of like an airplane going from you know, the left to the right, but like going from the front left of the room to the back right of the room, you know, really, sure. really cool sound effects. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This this never fucking cut on. Every time there's been something like this, Pink Floyd is one of the very few ones mm-hmm. that no matter what, a lot of their catalog will be released in this awesome fucking format. Uh, Blu-ray is like right. 7.1, it, or 7.2, okay. I think, where the, yeah. the dot two or the dot one at the end means a subwoofer. So they have literally a channel of, when, when you read the, the file, it's got some amount of the bytes are like, here's what to send to the subwoofer. Don't send any guitar. Don't send anything else. Here's just the exact sound for that piece. Okay. And they did this in the 70s. My dad actually had a quadra or still has a quadraphonic um, uh, stereo. And there was a very, very special record format where you, a record needle is writing down a, uh, a a a track right it's like like um like a groove on a record yeah and it basically vibrates left and right depending on kind of what's on the left wall or the right wall the quadraphonic ones were somehow like that the groove was deeper and split into two or something such that like the top half of it was the, the front left and the bottom half of it was the bottom or it was the back left or something. Okay. It's yeah. some kind of crazy shit. As you can guess by us explaining this, uh, th- nobody has this. There's... Well, number, yeah. Number one is clear. We have a very firm grasp on this. Sure. <laughs> um, number two, I read the exact same thing that they, they had this, ultra, you know, advanced quadraphonic sound. And it didn't matter because no one owned a stereo that could play it. And when they try to do it at concerts, it half the time didn't even work. Yeah. (laughs) So because places wouldn't be equipped for it and they would just have a lot of problems with it because at the end of the day, no matter what kind of PA system you run or whatever and such, man, Small clubs to big clubs are set mm-hmm. up and ready to go for stereo. Even if you're bringing your own speakers and stuff like that was the sure. standard back then. And it's standard now for sure. Sure. Um, and so, it, you know, and I'm, I, I, I guarantee you the multi, multi, multi million dollar us and them tour that Roger Waters did a few years ago. If he had mm-hmm. that going quadraphonic or something crazier than that, then I guarantee it was working as best as it could every single thing. But in 1973, yeah. Not really a deal. Not really a thing. Nobody buys the equipment. Nobody. I, I don't. I have one friend out of all my friends who has a, has one of those little uh, amplifiers that sets up and like if you're watching, you know, Terminator Two and the car goes from left to right, it doesn't just go from left to right. It you know swirls around you and all this kind of crazy stuff like it does in a theater. Right. And I have a lot of friends who have a lot of audio equipment, and that's the only one I have that has the seven one setup. My dad had 
four records or something out of all, you know, goes and buys this crazy record player that costs who knows how much more than another one because nobody buys them. So now it's more expensive, right? You know, buys this crazy amplifier that can do it too. And at the end of the day, the amplifier has a button on it that says, I think CD four. And it's like emulate this quadraphonic, like do some funny things if you want, you know, or whatever, because nothing uses it. Um, so, so this is interesting because this is a, I think a product of the time, especially where like, I don't know if they were grifters. I mean, I, the people who came up with this certainly um, came up with something that was real. It just didn't work because not enough people owned it. Like, uh, like Laserdisc, right? Like, it, kind of well, a cool idea, but not enough people yeah. owned it to make it work. And it was probably too expensive at the time to really catch on right. in the mainstream. Right. And like, I remember the Beatles had like they built this super modern studio that they got in and immediately realized, oh, none of this stuff works. Like this is like, this is, they had this guy named magic Alex who claimed to be able to do stuff that like Abbey road couldn't do. Right. And to where like he had like this sonic wall around the drums that was like invisible, like not the actual like plexiglass that you'll see around drums sometimes, but like this invisible sonic wave that would (laughs) deaden the sound of the drum. Like nothing worked. And and the Beatles immediately realized, Oh, so this, this stuff is all crap. Right. Um, it doesn't work the way they said it was going to. I, I think this worked, but what I also think of like the modern day version of this would be like, like the Neil Young. Remember when he pulled all of his music off of Spotify? Cause he said the sound quality was too low. And did the Pano, and, right? And he did the Pano thing. And I, I read a lot. I read like Nate Silver talked about this where he's like, you know, all the studies that are done on, on these different sounds show that like this, like Pano, like, it doesn't really matter unless you have a real specific type of like speaker and you're listening yep. to it at a specific volume. And even then it's, it's not easy to really tell the difference. Right. Yeah. We'll um, definitely have to do a podcast sometime about high end equipment. Cause like I'm definitely yes. a, a sucker for that kind of stuff. And there's people who fall for stuff like, um, you know, like an HDMI cable, it goes from your DVD player, or your PlayStation to your TV is mm-hmm. it's a digital signal. It's a one or a zero. It's like a light on or off. If mm-hmm. the lights are on or off and they get mixed up, your whole screen goes funny. The sound right. doesn't even work. It starts screaming or something because there's not it's it's a it's a it's like me telling you a sentence and mixing up the words. It wouldn't right. work or whatever. They have cables that are $150 instead of $10. That's like a gold-plated H, you know, HDMI cable, uh-huh. blah 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 blah, braided with maximum interference, you know, reduction, blah blah blah. And it's like at the end of the day, for it's arguable for some of these old ones because like a, a regular speaker wire, your headphone wire, and whatnot is literally just an electrical current going down there. And if it if right. it gets down there, oh sorry, I got an alarm to hit up there. It, it's literally an electrical current going down the wire. And if it gets like if it's a little bit changed because of the wire circuitry then like yeah the sound can be arguably a little bit different but like for hdmi it's a good example of the snake oil the current snake oil of like i don't need to pay 30 times the amount for something that literally is digital there's no way it can be any different right right so i you know i i see what pink floyd was doing at the time and especially for a band like pink floyd right where i i think they 
you know, Zeppelin was more like a raw sound, right? It was right. supposed to sound raw. Right. It was supposed to sound like that. Pink Floyd was supposed to sound like a little bit more modern, a little bit more advanced. And right. so I can see the appeal of it. Sure. Um, by all accounts, it just didn't work. Yeah. Now, now, and I don't know. So let's talk about Wish, Wish You Were Here for a second. Because when I hear Wish You Were Here, when I hear Shine On You Crazy Diamond, I hear like even though it was recorded like two years later, to me it sounds like light years of advancement in the sound quality yeah. of those recordings. Yeah. I mean night and day. Right. And Dark Side sounds great. I can't imagine Dark Side sounding as clear as Wish You Were Here. Right. I, it's they're both perfect the way they are. But man, what a difference two years made in just the technology and the way you could get stuff on tape. And how, how, how good it sounds. And uh, how and, much record company money will go into the studio and whatever else when you've just made the biggest selling record of all time. That's right. That's right. And so I, so, okay, let's, let's get back to the end of, of Dark Side. Sure. So they, they go so, through. So, go, so go, ahead, quadru- go ahead, go ahead. You've got some of that. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't even, yeah, I lost the point. You're right. So they do this, <laughs> they do this quadraphonic thing. Okay. Okay. You've seen Spinal Tap. I've seen Spinal Tap. We know that in the record industry, there's like a record release party where like the artist is just like cringing the whole time, shitting grins, smiling for pictures with the president head of the record company who's like fucking them over for taking 95 cents of every dollar that record sells. That's right. That kind of a thing. There's going to be one of these record release party things or whatever. The the record company's putting it on. They are going to play the record while it's there. They don't set up for quadraphonic sound. Result of this is that cardboard cutouts of Roger Waters, David Gilmore, and Nick Mason attend this party. For some reason, I don't know if Richard Wright was not in on the joke, but Richard Wright in the flesh was at the Dark Side of the Moon record party release thing. But because of the quadraphonic sound like quibble, the rest of the band was like, fuck this, I'm out. Yeah, I, I read this as well. Yeah. Um, again, same, pretty much the same account. Sure. In my memory, it was Nick Mason that was there, but you're probably okay. right. It was sure. Rick Wright. Nick Mason has a, uh, I guess, has always had the reputation of being kind of the peacemaker with the press mm-hmm. when it comes to Pink Floyd. Right. Um, you know, whether it was Mason or Wright, it wasn't Gilmore or Waters. <laughs> right. That's all that matters, right? <laughs> yeah. And 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 the fact that they you know spent all this time on this album that by all accounts, I mean Waters Waters said when he played this album for his wife, she cried. Yeah, because she thought it was so unbelievable, right? And so so great, right? Right. This thing that is so profound, right? And now they're going to debut it for the people that quote matter. Um, of course, to Pink Floyd, these people did not fucking matter, right? But theoretically, to the people who really do control the purse strings. And decide how it's going to get promoted, and decide how it's going to get released. Um, and they're just like, oh, "Fuck it, I'm not going." You guys don't want to make it sound the way we want it to sound. We're we're not going. Right. And we did all of this work on this, <laughs> and we're not going to show up to the release party. That's ballsy. Yeah. I mean, for a band that did not, I guess they had some skins on the wall, but not really. I mean, Dark Side was their skin on the wall. Right. Yeah, that's you know, true. They yeah, they didn't have it yet. Yeah, that's true. So it's like it's a it's it's a band. They're like, hey, thanks guys. You know, ninth record. Really appreciate all the work. Uh, you know, and literally it's EMI, 
right? So they've yeah. got Beatles. They're 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 good to go. Oh yeah. Um yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. And and just to, to, to... Now, what, what's what's cool about it, legacy wise though, is I don't know how many of the records they did this way. It's certainly everything after that. I can't imagine the wall and like five one or something has got to be really fucking cool because that record is all about sound effects all over the place. And, sure, you know weirdness. Whereas like Dark Side of the Moon definitely has the sound clips and the the tricks to it and stuff. But like you know the wall, I don't. How many times in it does it have things like you know airplanes flying over and crashing and stuff? You know, um, yeah. because this stuff was at least designed that way back then and stuff. Now that they when they do do these things, if you go get these like immersion box sets they have for Dark Side. Uh, wish you were here and, and the wall they'll have a dvd and you're like you put the dvd in your dumb little you know dvd player and hook it up to your tv and you're like oh great i can listen to wish you were here through my you know stereo tv tinny speakers or if you're mm-hmm. my friend who has that seven one setup you plug it into an amplifier because you can really split it out to all the five different speakers or seven speakers and it's a totally different listening experience, you know, um, so, so this is why... they spent that work way back then, which is which is a cool thing. But like like we've been saying, it's extremely niche, right? Um, nobody buys, yeah. no, nobody cares. Everybody is buying a fifty dollar turntable at this point that goes over Bluetooth audio <laughs> to yes. to a sound bar or to a, like a little Bluetooth speaker. It's it's the idea of hi fi stereo or stereo in general is is dead, right? It's it's gone. Um, well, you know, this is why a great example of why, like, you know, Tom Petty would used to say he would record, he would put it on cassette tape and then take it out to his car Yep, and, yep. and listen to hear what it yeah, sounded like with the way people are going to actually hear it. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard Aerosmith say the same thing. Like yep, they would record it and, and then they would get a shitty little, you know, boom box from Walmart and they would play it on that to see yeah. it. And, and then it's Aerosmith. So it still sounded pretty bad. Um, <laughs> but they, that's, that's a, that's a joke. We're a little fun here. Uh, I like Aerosmith. We should talk about them one day. You and I saw them live <laughs> once. Um, that's true. But, um, you know, so if, you, if you're on the lawn, you don't, I don't, I don't count anymore. Is that a concert that I back to? of the lawn, back of the lawn, back by of the, the way. Lawn. <laughs> very back of the lawn. But you know, they, they, you know, listen, you, I don't know how bands thought at the time. I, I don't think Roger Waters was sitting around thinking about how the average consumer was going to listen to this album. Right. I think his thought was, this needs to sound as badass as possible. Right. And that, EMI is it. giving me the purse strings, you know. Yeah. So, and, and so this I, thing comes I, out. I, I, don't, I don't have my notes in front of me for this particular section, but I think it was metal, which makes sense because metal became way better quality right than the mm-hmm. other ones were metal they actually like were hands off and they th- they had an agreement where they traded some amount of the royalties for unlimited studio time and full control of studio time yeah and with metal they got that with dark side they got that with wish you were here was the last one and part of the reason they built that other studio was because they were losing that with emi and they're like well fuck it we'll make our own studio with all of the money from dark side, right. Or, or some of the money. Right. Um, right. I think that having control like that and such gave them the license, especially if they have like a basic, a blank check to do all they want forever in like a premier studio worldwide. Right. Fucking Abbey road. Right. right? Um, 
So we have to talk about the end of Dark Side to talk about Wish You Were Here. Definitely. Because the two are so incredibly intertwined. Right. Uh, you cannot talk about one without the other. And right. one of the things that you have with Dark Side, I think, is kind of an age old story where this thing hits and it's massive and it, it catapults Pink Floyd into superstardom status, right? right. Like they were, Which... this was this was bigger than anything they'd had before by a long shot. Right, which to 16-year-old Jason is everything he's ever wanted. Yes. But and then then they released Money, right, as a single, yeah. which Pink Floyd was a little bit reluctant to do, and it catches on like wildfire. Yes. And and now they're I mean they're selling out big venues. Yep. Uh, they're playing the album start to finish. Um, at these shows, and this is weird, and they, this is something they would continue for the next couple of albums, where before Dark Side came out, like, they were touring with Dark Side of the Moon, like, a year before the album came out. Right. I mean, they were, they were playing it in its entirety and perfecting it right. before they went into the studio, and then it hits big, and now you do another tour cycle after you record it, right. where you're doing the exact same thing. So, like, man, they're just hammering this album into the ground, but it doesn't matter. Right. Because people keep buying it and keep buying it and keep buying right. it. And that would continue on to today. Like, I don't remember the number, but I mean, this thing was on the charts for like, uh, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, of, of weeks. Right. And I it kept coming back with every new... It's some crazy amount of time. With every new technology, it would, it would pop right back up. Oh, yeah. Because people I, would buy it again. Dude, like, I, I literally, when I started getting into the vinyls, like, basically at my brother's behest, he was like, yeah, one of my friends got these. It's kind of cool. And I was like, really? Like, I don't know, man. And it was like, I literally went to, like, Target, because that was the closest place that had a couple of these records. And what do you think is there? Like, of course, like, Thriller, Rumors, Dark Side, then yeah. some crap that had been out that week or whatever or something. And, like, yeah, Dark Side's the first thing you pick up. That's just... Yeah, especially if yep. you ever want to like test any audio format of all time, you know. Sure, uh, man. Yeah. So this this thing happens, and now they they you know this is the common thing, right? They have achieved their dreams. They have right. made tons of money. They bought the big houses. Nick Mason starts buying like really expensive collector vehicles <laughs> that right. one of one of them would go on to uh, to partially fund the '87 reunion tour. <laughs> right. Like, like they, they they start indulging in all of their expensive hobbies. Right. And this is so now that this has happened, what do you have left to do? What do you have left to prove? And how much motivation do you have to do it again? Now right. that you have accomplished your dreams. Exactly. And I don't well, in, know Well, in particular, we've got the the Radiohead phenomenon we talked about before, which is OK Computer hits, which is like their dark side. They actually record OK Computer on the road, kinda like Led Zeppelin two. Mm -hmm. They're they're touring their their previous record. The, this record comes out, now they're touring this record. Mm -hmm. They play two hundred shows over a couple of years. They are on the road interviewing nonstop, pushing this record while yep. their moment is happening. Same thing right. happens for Pink Floyd. That's what they do after they hit it, after this thing starts going crazy. Right. And it starts to go sour on the road before they even really get the time off from the road to be like, okay, what's next? Um, in particular, I got a, I got a quote here from, um, from Gilmore. Uh, let's see. Hang on one second. 
sorry, I idly fidget up and down on my phone when I'm not here. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, so it's, uh, yeah, so here's a quote from Gilmore about the Dark Side Tour. He said, everywhere we played, we suddenly found ourselves confronted with an audience that just wanted to hear the big hit, which was money. Yeah. Um, so before they might have had a, you know, at least receptive crowd to, you know, uh, careful of that Axe Eugene, you know, 15-minute opus, Echoes or something. And now you got people who are just like sh- literally shouting money at the stage. Money, money, right. money. Just, you know, your everyday, you know, average people that ruin every concert. You know, it's like uh, the Tool fan base is exactly this way where it's like, well, you got some hits that really massively appeal to people who do not give a shit about the lyrics or any of the musical acumen. And now it's, you know, ruined for everybody except for those people that are drunkenly screaming out the name of the single, right? Correct. Uh, including the band. So, well, what do you mean? Well, this is the beginning of uh, Roger's... Uh, distaste for touring okay yeah yeah, yeah absolutely you're, you're yeah the, you would call this the beginning uh the, the, these were some of the first bricks in the wall yeah definitely right yeah. like this was yeah. the beginning of like okay i hate this yeah yeah you're absolutely right right, right. they start and, getting, and, and this is where they they definitely massively blow up right and so they get to where they're doing you know stadiums you and i were looking at some pictures uh this last week or two weeks ago of like what was the soldier field where it was like so crazily full that like you couldn't even I, I I couldn't even find an exit like area in the stadium like it was so packed in and it's like something like ninety thousand people there and you know for every this twenty is, people no matter how popular or not you are there's some asshole in the crowd you know um, yeah and and this is interesting because you and I talked about this and we talked about that story because we both read the same story about how a promoter basically told them at Soldier Field oh there's sixty thousand people here. Right, right. And Roger was like, I've seen 60,000 people. This is more than 60,000 people. <laughs> and what a even comment, I, man. <laughs> I, I read that story and I was like, well, but soldier, I know like stadiums and arenas in the U.S. is like a weird interest of mine. Sure. And Soldier Field, especially at that time, definitely only held about 60,000 people. And I'm doing the math, like, all right, so you block off some of the seats in the back behind the stage, but then you have people on the, on the, on the field. But still, it ends up only being sixty or seventy thousand people. And then I saw the picture, and I forgot how they would pack people onto the floor like sardines back then. Yeah, which you can't do now because of fire codes. You can't right. do it now because people died at a Who concert. Right. Uh, a few years later, uh, but man, how do you get out of there if there's an emergency? <laughs> you don't. Yeah, right. I, I I bought in at that point. I was like, yeah, that's probably ninety thousand people. Yeah, that's right. That's probably about right. Man. Um, and, and yeah, at this point, you look at the at the dark side tour, and you see the the you, you see the the progression where they start out in the U.S. They're playing like theaters, okay, and then they progress. Right. And like in Dallas, they're playing McFarland Memorial Auditorium, right? And they're playing. Uh, they're they're starting to play like slightly larger. They're playing the Hollywood Bowl. Right. Um, at, at that point, they're they're getting a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger, and when we jump over to the Wish You Were Here tour here in a little bit, mm-hmm. you'll see that okay, now it's this is a machine, this is an absolute machine now. Right. That that has a lot of momentum, and they're making money hand over fist, and they're selling 
every scene and every place they play. Right. Um, you see, like, after Darkseid comes out, like, yeah, they're playing some stadiums at that point. Like, they're going from playing theaters to playing, like, football stadiums. Yep. Like, almost overnight. This is, this is you know, I've heard some bands say we went from, like, station wagons to private jets. Right, yeah, yeah. I feel like this was Pink Floyd. I feel like they probably right. went from, like, a small touring bus maybe to a, you know, to, to private jets from show to show. Because they blew up. This thing absolutely blew up. Because, they, I, I don't know, we've talked about this lots of times. Metal, I had never heard one note from metal until I got into Pink Floyd, and then I started looking into their back catalog. Exactly, right. Right? right? Those songs weren't on the radio. No. Nope. You had to be a real Pink Floyd fan, I think, even at the time, to, to you know, really know. They, they were, I, I don't know if you compare them to an indie band, but that's what they were. Right, yeah. And now they're, now they're, now they're massive, all of a sudden, in a way that made Roger, I think, a little bit uncomfortable. And in a way that I think kind of, I don't know, depleted their interest in collaborating in that way again. Yeah, it's, well, you know, and I saw a quote from Gilmore where he was talking about he thought he didn't, or I guess the band in general, said that he didn't really do a lot during Dark Side. Like, they didn't pull his weight, you know, and I yeah. I, I was, you know, I, I still maintain that, like, without Richard Wright, you know, there is no Dark Side. You know, you got money. You got, I mean, maybe us and them is, you know, some, some of these tracks can hang on with just the guitar and the bass and the drums and stuff. But like, you know, Richard Wright is like huge in that thing. And Gilmore like definitely plays guitar, you know, on, on these, uh, you know, you, you don't get, you don't have money without that tremolo guitar. It sounds like it's coming through a radio, you know. Um, but he, he says that he's, he doesn't contribute to it a lot. And I, I saw some interviews recently that um he, he he writes songs slower or something than Roger does. Okay. Yeah. Um and I wonder if that's kind of the beginning of the end, right? It's like it seems like Wish You Were Here is where it really started bouncing off and kind of more becoming the Roger story, the Roger show. Um but you know, I, I, I get the I get the sense that Gilmore was kind of um I don't know, maybe caught up in it is the way to put it. Like, this dude came in to be a replacement guitarist for a lead man, right? Roger is kind of the the sort of, at least the business guy and the kind of architect of a lot of things going on, you know? Um, Yep. I don't know. I, I get the feeling that, like, Gilmore is contributing more and more over time and whatnot, but, like... You know, in particular, there was there was a quote I don't have it handy that you know Gilmore was talking about like how it was it was difficult. They were kind of just fucking around the studio, you know, after this Dark Side tour ends, you know, and and just trying to just cast about, which is the same way that Dark Side happened. They're just trying to figure out they got unlimited studio time. What 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 can they make, right? What, what, yeah. Let's just make some new songs and whatnot. Um, and yeah, there was definitely like some some quotes from Gilmore directly where he was talking about like it was it wasn't easy. They suddenly have the money to buy all the flats and all the stuff, and they, you know, spent the year and a half of this thing being huge, playing to now stadiums and such, right? Um, so it's it's an interesting so, birthplace for a, for a follow up, and in particular, I think I think one thing that definitely has to be mentioned is just that what records do you know 
that are the biggest records of all time or whatever that have a decent follow on. You know them. You can top. You can name them off the top of your head because there's like half a dozen of them, right? No. So yeah, this is, I, I'm glad you said that. Cause that's a really good point yeah. because we're going to talk about 45 minutes into this. We're going to talk about wish you were here. <laughs> and one thing that strikes me about wish you were here is that I hear the stories about how hard these sessions were and how they didn't really have any good ideas. Right. And they didn't really have the energy to come up with good stuff right. because they were just drained from the dark side experience. And from a decade, right? This is 74. Yeah, yeah, from, yeah. A de- yeah, from scratching and clawing their way to that point yeah. and then getting there and kind of being like, so this is it, huh? Yeah. This is, this is what we wanted. And then they get in the studio. They don't have any great ideas. And if you just read about the making of Wish You Were Here, you would think – man, this thing must suck. Yeah. This must be a fucking terrible album. Right. And then you listen to it, and if that was the only album Pink Floyd ever made, Dude. they would be fucking legends. Yeah. they Like, that is a goddamn great album. Right. Like, I love it. I will listen to it as much as I listen to Dark Side of the Moon. Right. Yeah. I will absolutely get in my car on a long drive, and I will put on Shine On You Crazy Diamond, man. and I will listen to that and thing it's, it's start the, to it's finish. The, and it's, it's, it has that same, like, Houses of the Holy situation where people are like ah oh, man yes. Led Zeppelin 4 is so good and you're like yeah man and then how's the yeah. holy and they kind of look at you with a question mark like what and you're like dude yeah. what you know I, I, th- this... I wish you were here is, has that exact same effect to me where I'm like dude like if you'd like that one check this shit out you know um, dude th- this is this is to me why Pink Floyd is in like my I mean I, I think they're a top two or three band of all time because I think the run of you could maybe include metal, but let's just leave that out. Dark side, wish you were here. Animals, the wall. Yeah, I, that like okay. Animals, I know is not as 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 heralded, but animals but is wish you were it, here part two, as we'll get to. It, 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 yeah, it, it really is, and there are some amazing things on animals. Pigs, three different ones uh, <laughs> is I think well, that might be my favorite Pink Floyd song. Um, um, but you that that run of four concept albums that are all monumental right. in their own right. Right. Right? Like every single one of them. What and then to, so to start at Dark Side and end with the wall like five years later. Man. Which is which is in its own right considered one of the greatest pieces of music ever made right. or pieces of, of art ever made. Uh one of the greatest selling albums of all time as a double album. Like how do you get there and you had not burned out by then? Right. And and you still were making amazing music. And I think that speaks to the fact that I think Gilmore probably, I think he just took a step back. I think he really wanted to concentrate on the music. I think he wanted to make the music really great. But Roger had the ideas. Roger had the words. Roger right. had the lyrics. Right. Gilmore knew that. Gilmore was not an assertive guy. And so he... He let it happen. He didn't do the thing that some bands do, where you have a guitar player who, in some bands, if it were different personalities, Gilmore would have been at some point like, hold on, Roger, I want at least two songs on this album to be mine. Right? Right? And then then someone has to agree to that. Yeah. And then the record label gets involved. And then a manager gets involved. Right. And, and there's that, only lawyers and they, figuring out the track list and the track order. They, they, and they didn't do that because Waters is a brilliant lyricist. And, and, and Gilmore is a brilliant guitar player. And Richard Wright uh, creating those sounds on Shine On You Crazy Diamond man. is like, man, 
Yeah, it's I, like the, the, so, I remember a story about like that uh, Gilmore, those first four notes of the guitar that come in like, yes. I don't know what, two and a half, three minutes into that fucking song is like where it all started. But like, yeah, and and like and you can and if you think about that and you hear them in your head, you're like, oh, of course, like, Jesus, I could totally see somebody hearing that and like starting to flow everything flow out for what they make or whatever. Correct. And, which is exactly yeah, absolutely. What happened. But the the two the two and a half minute sound bed of just this slightly over forever fading in you know just oh, yeah. just humming oscillating like um i don't know what you call it dreamlike you know yeah 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 and not very, disturbing very not not the dark side kind of dissonant thing just this kind of like uh you know it's oh it's man yeah not, not that bad but <laughs> It's, no, that's not, I thought I was listening to the album right there. Um, it, it is interesting because when you hear it, you, 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 when you're like a teenager and you go down to Blockbuster Music and you buy Wish You Were Here yeah, like, because you know, the song, you know the song Wish You Were Here, yep. Yep. but you don't really know anything else because like KZPS is not playing Shine On You Crazy Diamond. Parts 1 through 32, 9-minute <laughs> no, first part. Yeah. They're not doing that, but you know Have a Cigar and you know Welcome to the Machine, right? Mm-hmm. And so you buy it and you put it in. And for the first minute, you're like, "Is it on?" Yeah. Oh shit! My is my vo- is, is, yeah. is my volume up? Yeah. Is it uh, is it working? Right. And then it finally starts kicking in. And what's amazing about it? Okay, so the I'll tell you how I feel about it first. Then we'll talk about the actual recording. Yeah, sure, sure. What's amazing about "Shine on You, Crazy Diamond," which starts the album "Wish You Were Here," is that it sounds like it was just kind of the best of what they thought were a bunch of bad ideas. I mean, it sounds like it was like they had all these ideas. They didn't really like any of them, but shine on you, crazy diamond. They had the basic framework and they were like, well, I guess it's good enough. Hmm. And they just went with it. And it was like, okay, we can, we can maybe create an album around this. Right. Right. And that's kind of how it started. And what's amazing is when you, when I hear it and it's this long music, jazz odyssey right. <laughs> like it's this yeah it's this long thing but man it is and i hate that stuff usually yeah. it's so amazingly listenable right there is nothing about it where i think okay i'm gonna skip ahead there no it's it's incredible it is very listenable it is very good when the drums kick in like when it kicks in and you're like hell yeah here we go <laughs> and then the and then the words come in and man i I gotta say, I mean, I know it's not Dark Side of the Moon, but I I think it's absolutely brilliant. Yeah. I think it's one of the best things they ever did. Yeah, I can't, I can't, I don't think I could count how many Pumpkin songs and Nine Inch Nails songs and all kinds of bands I really love, Jane's Addiction songs, that are that are that template, right? The the mm-hmm. Saucer Foral Secrets, Adam Hart, Mother Echoes. And then I yeah. think Shine On. Shine On's the last one. I mean, Dogs is like a 17-minute song or some kind of shit, but it is nothing like Shine On. No, we'll talk about animals in a minute. Right, definitely. But like, like Shine and On about, is like about, the, the peak of that. And like, I mean, I don't, I don't know, you know, throw Echoes and Shine On into a bag. I'd be fine to pick either one out or whatever. One, one, 100%. Echoes is definitely the precursor right. to Shine On. They are both uh, incredibly listenable to the point where in the 87 tour, they just swapped out Shine On for Echo or, or swapped out Echoes for Shine On. Interesting. 11 shows into the tour. Yeah. 
Yeah. And just decided, eh, Shino's a little bit of a better opener. Either one of them would have been fine. Yeah, 100%. Um, if I were to go see Gilmore and they played Echoes, I would right. go crazy. If I were to go see either Waters or Gilmore and they played Shine On, I would go crazy. Right. Um, so so without I think question. one thing, uh, before we get into the recording, um, sure. one thing to mention, I think that, especially given what we were just talking about, the House of the Holy effect, right? People are a lot of people are familiar with Dark Side. A lot of people are familiar with the Wall. Maybe not even Dark Side, right? Just depending on kind of what their okay. background is and what they've heard and stuff. I think sure, it's important yeah. to outline that Wish You Were Here is very much like um, like metal is and uh, animals. All of these songs have a couple of very long song. All these albums, sorry, have a couple of very long songs and a few really short ones. They they were sure. single record albums, which a record back then, you know, an LP thirty three uh, is twenty three minutes, twenty four minutes aside. Um, so you got okay. a, you know maximum sort of forty five minute record. Um, Shine on your crazy diamond ten minutes, twelve, thirteen minutes or something, and then and then yeah. welcome to the machine. Another seven or eight or something. So side one of Wish You Were Here is those two. Maybe Have a Cigar. I'm pretty sure Have a Cigar is on the next side. Uh, have You Cigar, Wish You Were Here, and then a, like a, a like a outro of more of sort of a shine on, like sort of, uh, what do you call it? Where it's like a callback to it. Uh, a reprise, right? Almost. A reprise kind of thing. Yeah. So this is a this is a five song record where you know arguably um, Dark Side was like a one song record. It sounds like, and I think that this one, this to me reminds me of metal a lot more. Where there's actually like you can just listen to Have a Cigar, you can grab that song out of there and listen to it on its own, like you could with Money with Dark Side. But that's the only place in Dark Side you can do that. Um, I could do that with time. I could do that with time oh, you can? on Dark Side. Okay. Absolutely. You know, I love time, but it definitely flows better when you just listen to it. As right. I was telling my son the other day, my son, my 13-year-old, has become really interested in Pink Floyd because I'm listening to a lot of Pink Floyd right now. Right. And he's he's asking about Dark Side of the Moon, and I, I had to tell him, like, just listen start to finish. You've right. got to do it start to finish. Yeah. Like, it's meant to be consumed as one single he's piece. Like, but what about, like, track six, you think? Or you're like, no, no, no don't no. you? No, no, no. But, you know, that's the thing. Like, yeah. it is, yeah, no, of course, it's meant to be consumed as one piece. Right. Wish You Were Here does have some standalone pieces, although it still flows as well. Oh, it's, it flows great, but, like, it is. It's like, yeah. um, I think Have a Cigar, Wish You Were Here, and even um, Welcome to the Machine, any one of those, you could just lift them right out of the record, and it'd just yeah. be a great song by itself, which I guess goes to show why you hear them on the radio and whatnot. They're, yeah. They're... Even though "Wish uh, uh, Welcome to the Machine" is a very long song or whatever, they're all like pop structure, ready to go songs. You know. Um, so one one more thing I'll say about how I feel about this album before we talk about the recording of sure. it is that I you know in in Dark Side you had these themes right of time of money of insanity of war right um, and and Wish You Were Here does continue that in that it is a concept album really I think dealing with loss right. with emptiness yes. and and for the first time dealing with the absolute absurdity of the music industry yeah and yeah. I think when I hear a song like Have a Cigar <laughs> I I I love I love the, in my mind, the courage of a band who's willing to record a song and put it out on their record label that basically says, fuck you, record label. Right. Um, you guys are full of shit, and we know you're full of shit, and our audience knows you're full of shit, and this is the game we have to play, but 
we see you. Right. We see that you're full of shit. Yeah, yeah. And it's pretty and it's, biting. It's, it's, it's pretty, on the and nose it's pretty, and it, and, there ain't no like sort of illusion and kind of no, like, no, like, no. Know, it is talking about this. It's, it's no, it is very direct. Yeah. It is very direct, and that's one thing I love about Roger Waters' writing is how direct it is. Now, so it didn't catch on like Dark Side of the Moon, I think because some of these themes don't relate quite as well as Dark Side of the Moon did. You know, not everyone is as concerned with the record industry as Roger Waters is. <laughs> right. Um, you it's know, that, but that, I, that phenomenon I, where you start writing about what it's like to be on a tour bus and nobody yes, knows what that's yeah. like or gives a shit, right? Because people listen to that and they're like, that sounds kind of awesome. <laughs> um, when I'm talking about the like how hard it is being on the road, um, but hey, you know, I mean that Thin Lizzy no, song, I, right? The one that uh, Metallica covered is fucking great. Whiskey in the jar. Yeah, yeah. Is that about being on the road? I think so. Here I am on the road again. Oh, you're thinking of turn the page, turn the and page. that is a Bob. That's a Bob Seger oh, song. Sorry, my bad. Whatever. But that is a great song, yeah. and yeah, I hear that song, and I'm like. Sounds like a pretty cool life, actually. <laughs> it sounds pretty, yeah. pretty awesome. Right. Um, but you know, I, I I love the directness of of, of of Rogers' lyrics. I think it's, I, I think that's one of the great things about what he does. Right. He does even that new Roger Waters song that you sent me um, this week. The bravier being like, out of range. Yeah. Yes, like man, he he doesn't beat around the bush. No. Um, he no. says exactly what he's thinking, and I, that, to me, that resonates. That resonates with me. Um, I, I think of a good example of this is um, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young in the song Ohio. And the first line is, Ten Soldiers and Nixon's Coming. And I, I always <laughs> fist pump when I hear that line because I'm like, fuck yeah, man. They just fucking name him. They just name Nixon right, right off the bat. Right. Like, it is direct. So, like, there is no question that they are saying, fuck you, Richard Nixon. Right. And I think Roger does a lot of that in his writing. Pig's three different ones, which we'll talk about, is a great example of that. Well, uh, uh, you know, but Wish You Were Here, Wish You Were Here follows that same theme. Absolutely. Right. right. I was, I was, uh, I think it was, I, I think it was a documentary on animals I was watching on uh, YouTube that was talking about, uh, keep in mind that in the background here, somewhere around this time, mid 70s, late 70s, punk music starts coming up. And punk music mm-hmm. is totally fuck you directly politically yes all the social commentary and stuff so things are opening up to be receptive to that there there, it seemed like in the documentary that uh you know pink floyd kind of brushed it aside because pink floyd was becoming you know the um uh, is that anathema is that the right word you know, sure. the, the, yeah. the, the sort of like, Oh, here's the big rock stars or whatever. This is exactly what punk music's all about. Get rid of that. Um, but, but I think that, I think that, and I, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know if the Ramones or the Sex Pistols or, you know, Iggy Pop and stuff was that in 73 or 75 or whatnot. But the receptiveness to the stuff, I think, to some degree, I mean, 73, early 73, March or so, or February is when Dark Side comes out. And Dark Side's mm-hmm. heavy. It's got some heavy shit. The Us and Them stuff we talked about last week, right? It's practically like a Metallica war song about, you know, protests and war and like, you know, um, just like completely ignoring you know homeless people on the street basically and such it's it's some heavy shit that you don't really get in you know um maxwell silver hammer from the white album right um abbey road yeah so yeah it, it, and it's i don't know like you said i think it's great that uh, that that waters took it further and became yeah. so frank and i feel like i feel like there's a balance somewhere in here where gilmore 
was I, I I I get the Smashing Pumpkins theory where Billy Corgan being so outspoken about how awful Darcy is or something, even though she was there all the way until the end where she kind of had some troubles right before they all broke up or whatnot, to me says she was his critic, right? She might have had a yeah. little bit of input that said, hey, let's let's back off a little bit on the cheese, you know? Um, yeah, I, I I don't know. I don't know about the lyrics for "Have a Cigar" or whatnot, but but I, I get the feeling. I guess basically because of the final cut in particular, and and Rogers like solo stuff that like there's some voice of reason to some degree. Um, yeah, c- keeping it keeping it good. Not necessarily that like David Gilmore's like whoa whoa pump the brakes on politics or something, but somebody in there, the the group uh, is probably tempering it a little bit or do you think it's more like he's basically getting his wings and giving less and less of a fuck as time goes on no there's there's some of that but i think the thing the thing is the message um the message can be so much more acceptable when the vehicle is listenable right and what you see is i i think it becomes clear when roger does his solo work in the in the early 80s that man, he needs a balance. He needs someone there right. to make this stuff good. Because I've, I've read this in the book I read a long time ago, Saucer Full of Secrets, which was basically like Roger would happily use the same piece of music over and over again right. to get his point across <laughs> yeah. with different lyrics, right? right. And Gilmore uh, would have been fine using the same lyrics over and over again with different pieces of music. Right. And they, 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 they very much needed each other for that balance because Gilmore was not a lyricist, even into the 90s when Roger wasn't there anymore. Uh, Gilmore was getting help from his wife and other people to write lyrics. Like he's not a lyricist at all. Right. Um, but he's a musician and he was probably the best musician in the band. Right. Yeah. And he, Roger really needed that. But there definitely came a point later on, which probably next episode will hit, where like Gilmore was like, okay, I, I'm done protesting. Like I, I'm done singing protest songs. Right. I, I don't want to do this. Even though Gilmore's pretty liberal himself, he sure. was eventually it's just like, okay, this is, this is enough. Right. Um, this, this is enough of this. But with Wish You Were Here, so I have a I have a a quote here. This is just from Wiki, but yeah. it is it is very similar to some stuff I read um, in the book that I recently read. Sure. And this is Gilmore talking about the recording. And this is a perfect segue from Dark Side to Wish You Were Here. Mm-hmm. It was a very difficult period, I have to say. All your childhood dreams have sort of been realized, and we had the biggest selling records in the world, and all the things you got into it for the girls and the money and the fame and all that stuff, everything had sort of come our way and you had to reassess what you were in it for thereafter. And it was pretty confusing and sort of empty time for a while. Right. Like basically we had, we did it. Right. And we had everything. Right. And so now why are we here? And it sounds like they, and, and then this is right after the producer This is a great, we'll talk about the producer here in a second, but the producer said, there were days when we didn't do anything. I don't think they knew what they wanted to do. We had a dartboard and an air rifle, and we'd play these word games, (laughs) sit around, get drunk, go home, and return the next day. That's all we were doing until suddenly everything started to fall in place. Like, they were just showing up at the studio, getting hammered, playing darts, 
and playing with an air rifle <laughs> <laughs> until someone finally had an idea and they were like, oh, okay, all right, that might work. Right. Like, they just had nothing, man. They just... That's why I say it's amazing that if you just read this stuff, you're like, man, this album must be terrible. <laughs> it must suck. And they just came up with genius out of their ass. Like, that's unbelievable. Right. Yeah, and I mean... It, it, uh, it, I think that I think that they they got an expertise in figuring out what's what's worthy and what's not. Um, sure. And I, I I get this feeling that basically they got unlimited studio time, right? And they, and you know, there's always always been you know A sides and B sides because the 45 had another side to it, so just throw something else down. The single, the the A side is what people are going to play on the radio, and that's what people are going to buy. You know, and, and to some degree, the album for, to some degree, the album format is the same. People are going to buy it for money, and then there's other sure. songs on it. Oh my gosh, this record actually sounds good all the way through. That's a bonus, you know. Yeah. Um, Saucer Full of Secrets, right? It's the first one where Sid's not there. They have the title track. Saucer Full of Secrets is the first format of this kind of echoes thing, and it's it's okay. It's I, I think it's all right personally. It's like a nine minute opus. It's it, it sounds like five guys coming to the conference room with the little reels of tape that they've come up with and, you know, picking best of, or maybe, you know, at least things that can work together and making a song out of it. Right. And they keep trying this. And with Adam Hart mother, the title track is like a whole first side of 20 minutes, just like echoes that nobody's ever heard that, you know, lived after echoes came out because it's not, it's not good. In my personal opinion, it's, it just doesn't flow. I think the individual parts of it are fine. I think that it just doesn't have that flow that Echoes did, where I think with Echoes, and then and then Echoes being, in my opinion, a test run for Dark Side, they really figured out how to make things flow and how and like what to drop on the floor. And again, I think a huge part of it is having free reign in the studio and as much studio time as they wanted. To, I agree. Uh, n- none of this, yeah. like, sort of, like, uh, definitely the first record. I know that they made it in three months, and I don't know if that means they were in there for three months or whatnot, like, every single day or whatnot. But, you know, the record studio is like, hey, you're unproven. Uh, we're going to kick a record out. You guys record stuff. Let's get enough to put on the record. It, but at, sure. all at the same time, 1967, you know, pre, like, Sgt. Pepper's and, and, you know, Pet Sounds and these records coming out that were, like, that conceptual, big, full record thing rather than a smattering mm-hmm. of random songs, you know, that th- that didn't exist. Now we're five, seven years past that concept. I mean, shit, you know, uh, what Wish You Were Here comes out in 75. That's, like, almost a decade after, like, Sgt. Pepper's hits. Right. Um, you, you got time now to say what's in and out. Right. Um, but also, yeah, they just have the experience. Right. Yeah. They have the experience. I think they have the confidence. Yeah. I think that's a big change. Right. That, like, okay, they had this idea with Dark Side. They were pretty confident in it and it worked. Right. right? And now that it worked, you have a problem with some bands that when something works, then they're they have like a lot of overconfidence. Yeah, be here, be here now effect. Be here now, <laughs> which is, right? Like they were so sure this was going to be even bigger than their first two albums. Oasis was that, uh, like nothing could stop them now. Right. But for Pink Floyd, it worked. Yeah, it worked. Like it, 
the confidence they had worked, I think, number one, because they're top-notch musicians. They're top-notch songwriters. Um, And like you said, they're given the time and space to create. And I don't think any band benefits from that more, other than the Beatles, than Pink Floyd. Yeah. Like they remember when we talked about CCR and it was like, man, they just cranked out like four top 10 albums in like a year and a half. Right. Exactly. Right. They were just writing songs and recording them nonstop. Right. right? And Pink but, Floyd but it's is a different format. That, exact that's the, opposite. Uh, right. That's the three piece or the four piece. Like let's make a pop song, you know? I, sure. You yeah. Know, I, I, you would know better than me, but is there a Tom Petty nine minute song that's orchestral and symphonic and has a bunch of set sound effects and stuff. That's what Pink Floyd. Was, no, right. Know? Not, not really. Right. Not really. Like, you know, there are bands that tried to do that. Sure. And usually they didn't work. Right. Right. You know, usually it's seen as, as kind of ridiculous when a band tries to do that. And you have some exceptions to that. You have Stairway. You have Hotel California. Right. Brothers in Arms. Um, you, have, you have Brothers in Arms. You, you, you do have some examples where it works. Right. You don't have, I don't know of any other examples, where a band does it like multiple times. And right. it works. Right. Most that, of the time, do one song, right? Or you know, right. I mean, like, Zeppelin's a good example. They they got no quarter. They got cashmere. They got different ones or these sort of long, drawn out, you know, building or sometimes not building. The, or, you know, uh, the, but the, they don't. The but they don't have a whole record, right? That's co- correct. Yeah. And the and the difference is between those. I I would ask, not that you were trying to make a comparison sure. of of the message, but I would ask, what does no quarter or cashmere really have to say? Yeah, that's true. That's true. Right, and and that's what's so amazing about uh, like shine on you, crazy diamond. That's what's so amazing about right um, the, the the whole the whole you know concept of wish you were here is that man the whole album really has something to say, right, and it's really important, right. And I, the, you know, just like that, Dark Side of the Moon. You know, I just now realized the whole like them sort of casting about in the studio and not really knowing and being a little bit directionless like they had before. The way Dark Side started was exactly the same way. Roger came mm-hmm. and said, hey, here are some themes. Let's write down stuff about these themes, like concepts and things. It sounds sure. like they went around and started recording things. And then when Shine On started, when Gilmore came up with those first four notes of the guitar and that that was when Roger had the aha moment, right? The light bulb right. went on. And for better or for worse, like now it's, again, a, a Roger, you know, um, concept, right? Well, and it's it's one of the, another, just like Dark Side of the Moon to me, where the epicness of the music is matched by the message. Yeah, definitely. That's hard to do. Yes, right. That's very hard to do. Right. That's where I hear a song or an album, like Be Here Now is a good example, right? Where the epicness of the sound wasn't really matched by anything. Right. The lyrics were yeah, kind the, of like the just words were just, right? The lyrics were just kind of empty. Yeah. I, I don't care. I love that album. Sure. But it, but what, what what's different about Pink Floyd and Wish You Were Here and Dark Side of the Moon and The Wall and Animals is that, man, the message, it matches it. Yeah. And it, it matches it perfectly. That's a good point. That's the thing that really sets us apart from the Zeppelin stuff. Or like even arguably yes. Stairway, you know, a lot of times like, you know, after the major popularity and stuff, you know, I think the band themselves has been like, it doesn't really mean a lot. Like it doesn't have a necessarily a message just kind of fit. Is that, am I misquoting there? Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, no, no, yeah. no. I think that's, yeah, yeah. Yeah, where it's like, and that's a good point. I haven't really thought about that, where it's like, the the pairing the like the the delivery of it i mean it it's the music is soundtrack like and it is literally like they've come up with a movie a concept of a plot you know in all of these cases and made soundtrack for it and married them together beautifully and you're right that's something that especially in the concept of rock um as a genre that that doesn't that doesn't happen you know do you um, remember do you remember in spinal tap um, where, um, um, is it Nigel is at the piano talking to the director of the movie <laughs> and he's playing this soft, Beautiful. sad, it sounds like oh, a rich, a Richard, a Richard Wright type piece. And he's like, oh, yeah. this one's an A minor, which I consider to be the saddest of all keys. Yep, yep. And he, the director goes, and, and what's it called? And he goes, this one's called lick my love pump. And then... <laughs> Like, I think, I think rock and roll had a bad reputation for that type of thing. Like November Rain's a good one, right? We're like, I I fucking love that song. I love Sweet Child of Mine. I think the the lyrics don't, I don't, I don't even know what the lyrics are about for either of them, really. Right? I think what, I think about the November Rain lyrics and I'm like, all I remember is what the music video looked like. And I assume it's about whatever that music video was, you know, um, I, I think that's a good example of even if it is about something deep, it's not direct enough that we know. Right, right. And that's what's so amazing because so Shine on You Crazy Diamond was written about Sid Barrett, right. basically. Right. Right. And if you know anything about the history of Pink Floyd, you can hear those lyrics and go, oh, yeah, that's right. very obvious. Exactly. Very, very right. obvious. Let me find some. Uh... And so while you're looking for that, what it it sounds like is they had the pieces to a couple of songs from Animals beforehand. And they had kind of started to work those up a little bit. Yep. And when Gilmore found those four notes to shine on you, Crazy Diamond, it was like, hold on, record scratch, stop everything. Right. Let's build around that instead. Let's shelve this other stuff and let's let's build around that. Right. That's more suitable Right, definitely. To, to start this album. Right, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, the, it, it's it's straight up, it's about Sid. There's no, like, um, question from the band or anything. That, that Especially Shine On is directly about him. Um, you know, it's some of the, the, the lyrics are, you know, remember, remember when you were young, you shone, shone like the sun. Uh, now there's a look in your eye like black holes in the sky. Um, shine On, you crazy diamond. You were caught on the yeah. crossfire of childhood and stardom blown on the steel breeze come on you target for faraway laughter come on you stranger you legend you martyr and shine um uh you reach for the secret too soon you cried for the moon uh threatened by shadows at night and exposed in the light uh you wore out your welcome with random precision i love that fucking line um and wrote on the steel breeze come on you raver you seer of visions you painter you piper you prisoner and shine it, it's, I you mean, know, it's his story all the way through. Oh, it's his story. You know, you, you know what kills me? The the line that kills me that it is, come on, you target for faraway laughter. Yeah, yeah. Because it, it makes me think of every, like, misfit I've ever known. Right. Even someone who doesn't really realize they're a misfit, just someone who's just different. Right. You know? Right. And, and come on, you target for faraway laughter. Like, you, like, 
Man, that that gets me every time because right. you everyone has known someone like that, right? Who's definitely. probably not not who's probably not deserving of it, who's probably done nothing to anyone, sure, to to deserve that kind of ridicule, right? And that, that the, it, it sounds like that's what became of Sid's life, right? Yes, absolutely, kind of, absolutely. Sort, sort of mumbling to himself, kind of a guy yes. that, like, at some point, people are just kind of like that. You know, th- there's a crazy person on the sidewalk, mm-hmm. you know? Um, yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. and that's that, that line gets just, just the, in my mind, it's just the general cruelty of humanity. Right. Um, definitely. and, and that, that, that line gets me every time, but I mean, man, it's, it's very direct. Right. It's very direct. I'd love the, um, um, while you were wore out your welcome with random, precision. with random precision. That's also, that. I've never thought about that, but yeah, that's a great line. Yeah, I really feel I, that. I, you know, I, I, looking at these lyrics, I feel, you know what? This thing, this whole thing, even with the Sid stuff, it's all about the record industry, man. Okay. Because Sid, right? Sid, yes, he did all the drugs and whatnot, but at least the book that, that I read, it made it sound like when things went off the fucking rails for him was when he went, um, when he went on tour. That was when... He couldn't, yeah. handle, he couldn't handle maybe being fit into the box he had to be fit into to, you know, be up at this time in the morning to interview for this, get on the stage at this time, go to this interview, go to this radio interview the next day, whatever. It sounds like that's when it came off the rails. And I think we talked about in our first episode, the thing about like one of the, one of the problems with mental illness in general, one of the worst things you can do to somebody who has a uh, mental illness is fuck with their sleep schedule fuck with their familiarity of where they are sure. and stuff. Um, and so if you're already, you know, kind of at your wits end, you know, quite literally, um, those kinds of pressures and stuff can make it worse. And then obviously there's just the, the, you know, alleged or maybe even true burnout story of all the drugs. He would just try anything under the sun and maybe took, you know, uh, or, uh almost certainly took enough LSD to have, you know, one trip too many, and you know fried some circuits in his brain um but at the same time the you know he he tried to do a solo record after that first record right and david gilmore helped him and such yes and it was like it was like pulling teeth with that same effect we were just now talking about where it's like sometimes he's there and sometimes he's not right it's like the record industry like sort of destroyed him or paid a part in that demise you get to welcome to the machine, which is definitely in my mind about the record industry as well. Of like, absolutely, you yeah. know, you get to have a cigar. Have a cigar is about the record industry. Obviously, you get to wish you were here, which is about like sort of like a lost someone, right? Um, yeah, you know, and and I get the concept of like if 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 you're talking about this concept of everything flowing through of like this person or just the, the machinations of industry in general, destroying the child, destroying the, like the, the pure light of somebody. And then after that being like, you know, be, you can even be in the room with the person who's now got 20 years of career behind them. And they're not the 16 year old dude. You used to sit there and listen to records with. Right. Um, right. So anyway, I, I hadn't really thought about it because I've always thought about this as like purely about Sid, the whole record all the way through. But, you know, a big part of Sid's story is that is is the, you know, the, the record industry, you know, not For necessarily sure. like on purpose, you know, uh, 
you know, viciously trying to attack Sid or something, but it's just mm-hmm. not a good match, right? And and it destroyed him, right? No, he was the guy, and I've heard uh, Waters say this. This might have been the weird behind the music they did sure. for VH1, right. which I find to be one of the most bizarre things the band ever did. Was agree to a shitty one hour VH1 <laughs> mini documentary about Pink Floyd. Next up, Scorpion um, behind the music, you know? Yeah, <laughs> they did it like it was right after like Tony Orlando or right, something. Like, what the, the fuck are you guys yeah. doing? Yeah. <clears throat> but, you know, Waters basically said, like, did LSD like make him go insane? Absolutely. No, right. but if you're already predisposed to having a mental illness, LSD probably did not help. Right. It may have certainly pushed him over the edge. And when you're dealing with that, plus the growing fame, right. the growing success and the growing pressure of the band, it just becomes too much right. for someone like that. And then how do you, is it, is it his fault? Right. Yeah. Or is it just, it is who it is, right? This is just, it's not it's like what could he have done right. to stop that from happening? Right. And I would, I, I, I've also been trying to come up with a, a, like an answer, and I, I don't have a good answer for this. Right. Of another band where there is a former member who kind of bowed out for whatever reason before the band really hit it big, that the band kind of remained extremely loyal to. Uh, John Frusciante is a great example. Yeah, but he came back, right? He did because they were loyal to him. Like he, okay, he he, he went out. He went way out. I mean, he was he was he was in the hair hair stuff, right? He was, right? Like he was candidate beside Lane, besides like Lane Staley, if you know, for mm-hmm. overdose for years and mm-hmm. years and years. I think Perry Farrell from Jane's Addiction was instrumental and okay. in bringing him back from the bend breaking point a little bit and stuff. But yeah, like he. Uh, he 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 was a huge fan of Jane's Addiction. He primarily contributed a ton to Blood Sugar Sex Magic, which of course was their like international breakout, right? They they they, right. they were already a band. They were already doing okay-ish, you know, uh, sort of the same as like Soundgarden might have been before Nirvana blo- blew up, right? Um, yeah. before Spoonman blew up or something, right? Um and he couldn't take it and he he got the habit he quit the band literally like i mean you know direct quote basically like i don't want to be popular i didn't want this i thought we were going to be right like it used to be you know or whatever he was the second guitarist for the band they had another band another guitarist who died from a heroin overdose they bring this guy in this guy's heavily influenced by jay's addiction he kind of brings a little bit of a different vibe to the band they make this record. It is their best-filling record, maybe up until Californication. It is the, the definitely the record that makes them, and he he loses it. I mean, very much uh, Sid Barrett style. I don't know about mental illness or nothing or anything, but he uh, he goes off the map, and it is basically like a community service situation where they bring him back for Californication, and you know, and uh, and and. You know, and he's he's been with them ever since. I well, you know what? That's not true. I think that after a couple of records there, he kind of took a pause for a while again. I don't know if there was any addiction problems, but uh, he he's a good example. And I think we talked about this at the very first one. Uh, you know, Eddie Vedder is a good example where he didn't want to be this popular overnight or whatever. But it seems like he handled it a little bit better. Um, but anyway, 
Yeah. I, so, okay. So one of the interesting things about Sid is when he went away, I think they all knew in, in British terms, you would say he was crackers, right? Like <laughs> yeah. he was, yeah. he, he was done. Right. Like there was That's no true. coming back. Right. Like there was like no a... like waiting around, like maybe he'll come back around. Yeah. No, he was, he was absolutely, okay. he lost his mind when he made madcap laughs and Gilmore tried to help him. I, I mean, it sounds like it was apparent then. Like, man, he's yeah, he's, he's just kind of gone. Yeah, okay, that's true. That's that's yeah. that's definitely different than the the classic rock star story of these people mm-hmm. who have addiction problems. And yeah, this this you know, doesn't sound like the brain. Sid the was, brain is still functioning crucially for those. It doesn't sound yeah. yeah. It doesn't sound like Sid was battling addiction. Right. Yes, he did some psychedelics. Right. But it doesn't sound like this dude was like some sort of like drug fiend. Like he had a mental illness. Right. Well, he was a drug fiend. <laughs> okay. Okay. But yes. like for for uh, acid yes. in particular. But like, yeah, I don't yeah. think that it was. I, I I don't know. I, I I've never heard the, the the I've never heard the word addiction used so much for LSD as I have for other things. But. He was a part of the culture for sure. That was like LSD is opening the mind, and it was it was legal at the time when he was starting it and stuff. And maybe maybe even was legal by the time he, you know, kind of lost it. You know. Um, Oh, I think it's I think it's fair to say that we know a lot more now about how it can affect you, especially if you have a mental illness, right? uh, Than back then, right? Sure. Like you, no, of course, it was just different. It was a very different time, right? Um, So I chronologically i don't know that it matters sure but i think it's important to just talk about this now about how while they're recording shine on you crazy diamond right a slightly over slightly overweight balding man no just wanders just wanders on into the studio no one recognizes him no just he just waltzes in sits down and eventually someone recognizes holy shit Sid's here. Right. And no, he had not been around the band since what, 70? Yeah. Maybe 69? 69 maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been six years. Yep. Safe to say five or six years at least. Right. He wanders in, sits down. Gilmore eventually recognizes him. Mason recognizes him. Roger Waters at first thinks it's like, like a maintenance man. Right. And then realizes it's Sid and then starts crying. Yeah is like this is very emotional for the band and they are listening to a mix of shine on you crazy diamond about right. him which is about him when yeah. he comes in and he sits down like he's part of the band like there's no is like, the the way I read it it was like no time had passed like he just sat down as though he's just a part of this Right. There was no like, hey guys, sorry I've been gone. He was just like, okay, what are we working on today? Like Man. he just, just and and he had no concept that this song they were listening to was about him. Right. No idea. Yeah. And that's crazy. He he offered not much in the way of um, commentary on right. the song. Right. Gilmore had just gotten married that day and was having his wedding reception at like the EMI canteen um, that evening. And Sid showed up to that. 
Interesting. And just hung out. So is like, that again, part of it? Like was yeah. he was invited to the wedding and so said... No, I no, I don't think so. I don't know why he I've never read any account of why or how he chose that day to show up. Man. I don't know. But it sounds like he made no mention of the fact that like he had been gone right for so long or that there was anything wrong. He just it's like he just thought he was still a part of the band. Crazy. And he just showed up. Yeah, the, the, like he was part the, of the, the band. book I read wasn't like really clear about a lot of it. It did mention the part about like how it was so emotional for the other band members. Um, I think his hair was shaved. Yeah. You know, he he was yeah he was uh, they said remarkably fat or something. Like he was you know he's a like he's a unrecon- real thin unrecognizable dude when they know him. A, yeah, literally a pop star who's you know like uh, you know. Uh, baby pop star uh, situation where he's probably not eating every meal, you know, because uh, he can't, can't afford them until you put dark side out, you know. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, he, 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 his eyebrows were shaved, which is, you know, uh, you know, alluded back to in the, the wall movie later. Um, so that's weird. But like, I think his head was shaved as too, or his short, his hair was very, very short or something, which is part of the reason of not recognizing him. Cause he has these like beautiful, like curly hair locks where like, he seems to me like a person who I don't think he necessarily have to do his hair in the morning and it would just be Sid Barrett hair. And you'd be like, that's the dude, you know? Um, so, so Russell Brand look a lot, you know? Yeah, yeah, Russell Brand's a good comparison of Sid at that time. Yeah. Um, so you have Nick Mason in his um, in his book uh-huh. um, recalled Barrett's conversation as desultory and not entirely sensible. <laughs> um, He's Storm such a classy Thurgerson, dude, man. He's the yeah, best. Storm, Storm yeah. Thurgerson re- reflected on Barrett's presence. Two or three people cried. He sat around and talked for a bit but he really wasn't there. Yeah. And <laughs> Waters was reduced to tears by the sight of his former bandmate. When fellow visitor Andrew King asked Barrett how he had gained so much weight, Barrett said he had a large refrigerator in his kitchen and had been eating lots of pork chops, <laughs> which I can, re- I can relate to this. I can relate. Uh, yeah. I can relate. And then he said he mentioned that he was ready to help with the recording but while listening to mix of Shine On You Crazy Diamond, he showed no signs of understanding its relevance to him. Right. And then and then he joined Gilmore's wedding reception at the EMI Canteen, but left without saying goodbye. Man. And that was it. I mean, Waters like bumped into him one time a couple years later out shopping. Huh. But that was the last time anyone saw him alive. Man. Like they kept in touch. Gilmore famously kept in touch with him through the years. Like right. kept in touch, I think, with his family just to make sure he was getting his royalties. Right. Um, but otherwise, that was it. Like that was the last time anyone saw him. He just swooped in and swooped out. Right. And he was done. Yeah, and it's it's weird because there were definitely. I feel like in my book, this, this was the point where they kind of wrapped up the Sid story in general. Like, kind of, mm-hmm. you know fast forward to the future and such and all this kind of stuff. And, it, you know, one of the things that's very disconcerting, like to me, it made me feel like I could relate to maybe how it was, was uh, they had a thing about a reporter who went 
and talked to him and it was around the same time and it was just like a very like disconcerting and jarring kind of thing uh there was stuff about like during um i guess the pink floyd reunion for live eight I think, okay, you yeah. know, um, you know, the, the press kicks up some people go and talk to him a little bit and stuff. And it's like, there, there was stuff about like some of his lovers and stuff, you know, like in the, I don't know, the nineties or the late seventies, yeah. talk to him and say, you know, Hey Sid, do you remember me? He's like, of course I remember you. You're such and such, right? Like completely lucid and like, you know, completely with it and stuff. And then a minute later, you know, not right. It switches, yeah. switches in the brain somewhere, switch and flip and, now he's like, you know, basically like standing there looking at you, but he's comatose. There, there's, yeah. you know, the, the, you know, black, uh, black holes. What was the, the line here? Uh, uh, sorry. Uh, you know, like, like in the, in shine on, right. He's remember when you were young, you shone like the sun. Now when there, there's right. a look in your eyes, like black holes in the sky. I think that's right. a really good way of putting that. Yo, that experience yeah, for sure. Of this person being there and not and like it you know i i don't know if you've ever had anybody in your life who's got like dementia or alzheimer's you know um it's it's weird man we're like there's these lucid moments and then there's these moments that aren't it's hard man like and that you know one thing it makes me think about when they talk about how like specifically roger waters cried when sid was there yeah i was talking to jane about this the other day like these dudes were like 29 and 28 years old when they did Dark Side of the yeah. Moon. Right. They were like 31, maybe 32 when they did sure. Wish You Were Here. And look, I mean, I know that there's there's definitely examples of people making records that are like beyond their years and whatnot. But like mm-hmm. Roger Waters was like born a grandfather, right? I mean, he was born 60 years old. Mm-hmm. These lyrics, well, the, these the, these songs, like, and, and I guess maybe that's part of it is that these dudes were college educated. Is that what it is that these guys went to philosophy uh, I, yeah. one classes no, or something? I mean, I think that makes a huge difference. If you look at the punk music at the time, sure, and you look at like the Sex Pistols, right? Like the Sex Pistols have never resonated with me at all, sure. and I know people love them, right? And I, they have very important things to say, sure. But again, with Pink Floyd, the epicness of the music matches the message. Right. And there's definitely something about coming from a... Um, all right, here. Just, I'm going to sound like a giant asshole <laughs> when I say this. But Pink Floyd is very cerebral. Yes. Yeah. Music. Exactly. Definitely. And I... And I think that... And re- I don't, don't you think that reflects Roger? Because that's the thing is when I think about... They don't. They specifically single out that Roger is crying when, you know, Sid, you know, comes in the, you know, and and they're seeing Sid and how he's, you know, he's not well, and they're faced with it in the studio of all things. And last time they worked together in the studio, maybe Roger was there, maybe he wasn't for the Madcap Laughs thing. But Saucerful was the last time they were all professionally working with him on a Pink Floyd record, and he was only able to contribute to like a couple of things, like three or four songs, maybe. Um, and then yeah. that was with a lot of work to try and get him to, yeah. you know, to, to basically capture him when he was lucid, which was, you know, a, a fleeting thing. I, you right. know, I, I think being a cerebral person 
who makes this cerebral concept album record, their memes, right, of of Roger Waters, there's these memes that are like, you know, you know, Roger Waters is in a trench coat and he's opening it up to show you all his watches, you know? Would you like to buy one of these watches? <laughs> it's a stolen watch. Instead, it's like, would you like a concept record? You know? Yes, um, yes, yes. And so and, but, I, I, but, I get the feeling, and, and, you know, we obviously get that from his lyrics in general and whatnot, but I feel like, I think cerebral is a good way to put it. I, 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 I feel that at like a guttural level where they describe this Sid situation going on and all the, the complexities and the duality of humanity of like somebody being like, frankly, half the time lobotomized, like, like in a coma, sure. a waking coma. And then you don't know when he's going to flip back to being lucid. And when he is lucid, you're not sure how lucid he is. And how trying that can be on someone that, you know, to use your word, is so cerebral about the human experience, you know. Um, yeah, and, but but I also feel like he was surrounded by musicians who were also pretty cerebral. Yeah, right. Like Gilmore, Rick Wright especially. Like, man, those guys were not just like cock rock type guys right. yeah. at all. Right? Like they were, they were also from Cambridge. Right, yep. They were also guys who were raised in educated households. Right. And, and let's get this um, straight, because, like, uh, remember, Sid was an art student, but was it, like, Wright, Mason, and Waters were architecture students or something? Yeah. Basically and, and mathematics, their, more and, or less. Yeah, and all of their parents were, like, like university-type right. people. Right. Like, Gilmore's dad was, like, a such a well-respected university professor that he was lured by NYU right, yeah. to go to New York. Right. Um, and one of their dads was like a biophysicist or something. Like they, they were really well-educated. Right. They came from very well-educated households. Right. Which is just different. Right. From most other rock bands. Yep. That's not how it was. And in the rock bands that we love, right? right? The Beatles came from poverty. Interesting. I didn't know that. The Beatles came from like the man, wrong their side parents of the were kind of kids or whatever. Yeah, absolute 100%. Okay. Or even if not wrong side of the tracks, like just like working class, yeah, you sure. know. Yeah. Uh, you know, John's mom died when he was young. Paul's mom died when he was young. Ringo was born during an air raid during World War II and spent most of his childhood in a hospital. Dang. Uh, like every like the these these guys, the, the common trope is they all had like these troubled childhoods. Yeah, yeah. Which and is Pink like the trope Floyd, for all rock stars to some Pink Floyd didn't, except for Roger and his dad died in the war, which gave him material for the rest of his fucking life. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah. Right, like he, like he he dealt with that forever. Yeah, but he dealt with it, I think, in kind of a healthy way. Yeah, which is he wrote about he it. He made art out of it, right? And yeah, he made yeah. art out of it. He wrote about it over and over and over and over again, yeah. to the point where it probably got on Gilmore's nerves. <laughs> yeah, and definitely. we had not really seen it yet. We don't see it really until Animals, and then really the Wall. Right. Well, and I think um, that to me, Have a Cigar is the first one that's on the nose. Like just. No, that's not true. Money is pretty fucking on the nose, you know? Well, money's on the nose, but money is like, money is universal, right? Yeah, that's true. Have a Cigar might be one of the first ones that Roger wrote that is like really specific to what the guys in Pink Floyd were going through. Right, yep. 
Okay, so let's we've talked a lot about Shine On sure. and Sid and all that. So then you move into Welcome to the Machine. Right. So I've I've seen Gilmore talk about this where he's like, people talk about the great sound effects. He said it was it was just a keyboard. Like that was just Rick on a keyboard making those sounds. He said, we could have made an actual sound from an elevator. Like we could have gone to a real elevator, but it wouldn't have sounded good. What? Like the exaggerated sound from the keyboard to sound like an elevator sounded a lot better than an actual elevator. What the heck? All this time I thought it like basically went to a factory and recorded. No, you know, that's all made up. What? It's all made up. Oh, he's man. like, it just wouldn't have sounded. Try and piece that together, yeah. man. He's like, it wouldn't, it wouldn't have sounded right if it were a real elevator, right? And so you have this, this, this is what I love about Welcome to the Machine is you have the, this. It's very electronic, right? You right. have these yeah. sounds, these elevators, these sound effects. It's like the original Nine Inch Nails song, where it's like, this, and it's this, it's this like, sounds like a this, factory machines, and, and it's things. this, yeah. this, and it's this pulsing. Yeah. This pulsing sound, and then you get this acoustic guitar, yep. just playing a chord that I could probably play myself <laughs> um, over it. That like really softens the sound, and then you have Gilmore, "Welcome, my son, welcome to the machine." Um, the words to that to me sound like my interpretation is a band that's made it. And the record industry is saying, come the fuck on in. <laughs> yep. We are about to Where fucking have you been? destroy you. Right. Where about, have you been? We're about to destroy you. Yep. You've been in the pipeline, just, filling in time, providing toys and scouting for boys. You brought a guitar to punish your mom. Uh, you didn't like school. You know you're nobody's fool. Nobody's so welcome fools. to the machine. Uh, man, the line for this one for me is, what did you dream? It's all right. We told you what to dream. We told you what to dream. God. I like you bought a guitar to punish your mom. Yeah. Because to me, it's like a, hey, you did this to punish your mom, but really it's benefiting me. Right. Like, you keep being angry at your mom. Right. Keep doing that. Yeah. Because that helps, that helps me. Yeah. That's yeah. good for me. And that's the, to me, that's the first Waters lyric that is like a real shot at the record industry right it's not have a cigar which is much more direct which we'll talk about in a second but welcome to the machine to me is the first like real like shot that like this machine we're caught up in is kind of shitty right and we don't like it and it's not good and we're going to write about it. We're going to sing about it. <laughs> and it's hard to, like, I remember when Tom Petty came out with the last DJ in the, in the, the, uh, the early 2000s, which is a real critique on the record industry and how, and, and, and the radio industry and how, like, it's all consultants and it's all big corporations and, like, individual DJs don't have any say anymore in what they play, right? Individual DJs cannot break a big band anymore. Right. And when he, when he put it out, like, Clear Channel Radio would not play it. Like, there was, like, a memo that was found that was, like, don't play the last DJ. <laughs> right? Because like, he was taking shots at the... At which the... confirmed everything he was singing yeah, about. right. Right? 
That's funny. I Welcome to the Machine to me is is like 30 years previous the same song. It's it's all about like you're caught up in this thing. Right. That's bigger than you that you can't control and they're going to tell you what to do. Right. And it, it, the the last uh, refrain there is like, you dreamed of a big star. He played a big a bean guitar. He ate at the steak bar and drove a Jaguar. So welcome to the machine. I think that this is the, the song about, like you said, come on in, right? There's, yeah. again, I, I get the, the biographic sort of concept here of sure. you know, the, the first song being sort of the, you know, um, overview of what this fairy tale is going to be like right and that sort of starry-eyed you know dreaming kid who wants to be a rock star right and this is kind of the like you know laying down the foundation for you know like the party starting right and come on into the club right so i i do like welcome to the machine yeah I I loved it but because man, I had heard Nine Inch Nails before this, and it made me very curious, like if this particular song had like a legacy or la- lasting effect on music or something, because you know with Nine Inch Nails, uh, they're kind of industrial pop, industrial rock music, and the industrial part meaning like it sounds like you're in an industrial factory. You know, the sounds yeah. of metal on metal, something, some factory making some kind of, you know, uh, machine or something that, you know, making a car, for example. Um, I remember hearing this song and being like, holy shit, this is like a Nine Inch Nails song, you know. Um, same sort of like haunting kind of vocals and and, uh, and uh, lyrical content. Um, so. Anyway. Doesn't, it, doesn't it sound undated? Like, couldn't Tool yes. or... Yeah. And like, anyone could have done that song in the 90s or the 2000s. Yeah. And it would have sounded the same way. Like, that to me is a really well-produced... Right. And well-written, well-recorded song yeah, that does not sound to me like 1975. Right, right, Exactly. 1975 like, contemporaries is like you know the uh what Led Zeppelin four came in 73 74, yeah, yeah, Black Dog, right, Rock and Roll Stairway, yeah, which, which sounds very very 70s, right? Well, it sounds great. I love it. I yeah, love all but, that but it stuff. sounds like 70s but recording techniques, right? Absolutely. Welcome to the Machine incorporates like real technology that sounds advanced for the time, right? So then you go from Welcome to the Machine to what, my opinion, is the gem of Wish You Were Here. And I don't know if you feel the same way. No, do not. Dude, I think Have a Cigar is, I think it's the best song on the album. What? Have you heard the title track, man? I I love wish you, of course I love wish you were here. <laughs> then what but the have fuck a cigar, are you about? man. Have a cigar is the biggest fuck you to the record industry. Right. That's such a great song it's, that it, it got it's a good on the like radio. sticking it to the man kind of song. I can see how how, okay. how the wall is your favorite uh, 
or, or, or like in much higher esteem for you now. Sure. Um, yeah. Even at this age than, than, you know, uh, some of the others and whatnot. Cause like, so, is, like okay. the wall is, is have a cigar strung out, you know, but, but at a much larger, uh, you know, target, right. It just kind of okay, society so at large. I want to talk about the recording of yeah. it for a second, yeah, sure. but I do want to hit a lyric that I think is the, one of the best Pink Floyd lyrics and I, I did some of this on Dark Side of the Moon, sure. right? Which I think there are some incredible lyrics that speak to me every time I hear right. it. And this is one of them. Even though it doesn't speak to me directly, I get it. And that is, well, I've always had a deep respect, and I mean that most sincere. The band is just fantastic. That is really what I think. Oh, by the way, which one's pink? And that line in particular Which apparently is based was, on a real experience they yes, had with a record industry right, person. With yeah. Some suit <laughs> who's like, you guys are, I, I fo- love I you follow guys. you guys. guys I love, man, the last yeah. record, the, uh, the, you know, I don't know the name, but the, the yeah, third track are, was yeah. just, oh, oh man, my God. You guys are, wait, hey, which one's pink? <laughs> and the band is just like, fuck you, <laughs> you fucking asshole. Right. 100%. Man, that is, again, I think it's brave. I think it's courageous to put that in a song at that time. I think it is, if you want the directness of Roger Waters' lyrics, there is very few greater examples than that. Right. Like, I think it's genius. Also, I think it's just a good fucking jam. I think that, like, I think it's just a good, like, Man, that guitar part, that do 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 I think man. that is a great fucking jam. And I I think that what's interesting about this song is that Waters was recording most of the lyrics to this album himself. Shine On You Crazy Diamond had been quite a, an adventure to get recorded. Um to the point where, like, some engineer had screwed it up and he had to, like, re-record the whole thing. Yeah, I heard about that. There was something about, like, that they lost a huge chunk of it, right? Like, they, well, the, 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 engineer, the, the engineer accidentally recorded had, over one of the major takes yeah. or something. Yeah. Well, the engineer had, like, accidentally put, like, an echo on it or something. Right. And, like, it just... He, they, like, he screwed it up. So, Roger had to, like, re-record. It was like his voice was shot. Yeah. So, he's trying to record Have a Cigar, which is at a pretty high register. Right. And he couldn't he couldn't do it. Well, this this recording artist named Roy Harper was recording in the same studio, like next door. Roy Harper, if you don't know, do you know anything about Roy Harper at all? No. He's a singer songwriter, a guy who would write and record like eight or nine minute like acoustic, like folksy songs. Okay. Extraordinarily well-respected and well-regarded by other musicians, like a real musician's musician. Okay. But never gained huge So he's not like a Bob Dylan acclaim. level. Was he, a part, never of, on was that, he a part of a band that was very famous or? No, no, okay. no, 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 never. But he was really well-respected as an artist to the point where Led Zeppelin recorded a song called Hats Off to Roy Harper. Because <laughs> okay. they, they liked him so much. Right. But he never gained like huge acclaim on his own. But he was recording. He has an album um, that I recommend 
highly recommend called Stormcock. And I don't just recommend it because I love the name. I do love the name. You do love the but name. But I also recommend I also I also recommend the album. It's like four songs that are each like 15 minutes long. Man. But they're really good. Anyway, he's <laughs> recording and someone suggests like, "Hey, let's go get Roy Harper to sing this song." He's recording in one of the studios like adjacent to where they are. Yeah, and right. Roger Roger's the one who suggests it. And he does it kind of expecting everyone to tell him. I don't know if this was in your books or not, but he does it expecting everyone to be like, no, 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 Roger, you should <laughs> sing it. And yeah. when he suggests it, everyone is like, great idea. Let's go get him. Right. And Roger's like, huh. I always All thought right. that it was David Gilmore. I thought it was like a little bit like I, I thought okay. they did some vocal effects to make it David Gilmore. Like they could today. Where you can do auto tune, you can just jump somebody up or down sure. an octave, no problem. Right. Um, so they yeah. actually so record. I don't. I don't know if you listened to it, but they 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 have a a demo version of it that came out later that's out there on Spotify. That's um that's the a version where both Roger and David are singing at the same time. It's it's so it's it's not the worst thing ever, but compared to the one with Roy Harper, man, ah. Oh yeah, totally. Dude makes that they, song. It's not. They made the right call, dude. It's not just like that. He sings at like a different register than they can, or something. That dude has like a snarl in his voice. Oh yeah, that is like, absolutely. Man, Roger like wishes he had, and he does. Roger, I feel like later gets more of that kind of a snarl, but it's still, it's not the same as that guy. That guy has a. There's there's like a sarcasm that's built in that's effortless in his voice. It's awesome. And 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 Roy Harper's music is very much like that. Okay, man, I got to check Roy that Harper's out. music. Roy Harper's music is like if Roger were just a solo acoustic artist. Right. That's what it would sound like. Right. And so if you listen to Stormcock, you'll 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 hear that. Okay. Like it's it's it is very very like kind of yeah sarcastic but serious. Um, no, it's it's very good, and he's really well respected. Right. Okay. He's very well respected, um, and so he comes and does the vocals. So basically, Gilmore, what I read was that Gilmore didn't want to do it because he he didn't not that he didn't agree with the message. He just he didn't feel as passionately about it. Right. Now, when they play it live, if, let me look. I'll look it on Wikipedia or whatever. Who sings it when it's live? Uh, during that tour, Waters did. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, Water, uh, Gilmore, uh, Pink Floyd, the, the Gilmore version of Pink Floyd later on never did it. Yeah, that's what um, it's like. Waters, Waters did it um, on some of his solo tours, and he sang it himself. I could see that being all right. I saw there's like a wish you were here that he did this last year during the COVID stuff. He's been doing those black and white videos where he's doing just these cool acoustic rearrangements of them. And, you know, like wish you were here is, is Gilmore all the way through singing, right? Or mostly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Wish you were here is Gilmore all the way through. Right. And, um, and you know, Waters does it. It's not as good. It it sounds like a cover band singing it because it's just not the right voice in my personal opinion. But it, but it's not bad at all, you know. Um, so no, it's it's fine. But, and, but yeah, you know, I think have a cigar, cigar in particular. It, <sighs> that that opening guitar lick, I think, is fucking great. Yeah, sure. That opening, that that man, that is 
It's weird because it's it's dated. It sounds very seventies. Yeah, it's very Dire Straits to me. Yeah. Okay, that's a good. I've never thought about that. Yes, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. 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 That's very Mark Knopfler. It's like like funky little hop to it. Yeah. Absolutely. It's real. I imagine someone like bell bottoms, like like doing a little dance, like it sounds. They're like they're like threatening to bounce into disco, and then they pull it back. Yeah. Yep. And but then you hear the the, the synthesizer the dun, 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 yep, yep. And I know you thought that was the synthesizer when I just did that, but uh-huh. it was just yes. my voice. Whoa. And Whoa. Yeah, I know. I know. Okay. I know. Okay. And just calm down. All right. Um, all right. Whew, let me, and then it's right. it's very <laughs> yeah, it's very like you know, I man, I, that's my favorite song on the. I love Shine On. I love Welcome to the Machine. I love Wish You Were Here. But Have a Cigar to me is the most listenable standalone part of that album. Hmm. Now, is it is I, it like I, an I emotional it. resonance kind of thing, or just like you just just straight up take the lyrics? Oh, out I absolutely, I absolutely love. If you've ever worked for a big corporation, <laughs> right. which you which which you have, right. I absolutely love the absolute fuckery of a of a big corporation pretending like they know and appreciate and give a flying fuck about what you right, do. Right, right. So here's the thing. I, I, I have a feeling that the artists that I love from like the 90s and even some of the 2000s, sure. they're evolutions of this. And or I heard them before sure, I absolutely. heard this. So yeah. I was like, oh, this is good. This is, you know, it's kind of like okay. sometimes going yeah. back in time to some of these protest songs that were like the hugest protest songs ever. And it's like, yeah, right. but have you heard, you know, uh, Rage Against the Machine's cover of uh, Maggie's Field or Maggie's Farm? Sorry. You know, sure. uh, like, I, I dare you. You know, to like to okay. have that feeling that that one has, you know, or um, the Ghost of Tom Joad or something. Some of these, some of these other bands have done that, and like, yeah, I mean, Rage, I think, is a good example. Like, you know, maybe we'll do a podcast episode on them sometime. You know, sure. it's, it's yeah. that's a that's that's the prime example of somebody being capitalist and completely screaming out against capitalism the whole time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but those kinds of bands right tool has a lot of this you know uh nine inch nails definitely has a whole bunch of this like not just fuck the man but like all all this questioning of society and okay but 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 one of those is as listenable as have a cigar um let me think about the the exact i mean i don't i don't know about ones that are the exact theme bull butterfly wings you know rat in a cage uh, is about the okay. record. That's about the record industry. That's I, but, I, 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 to me, have a cigar is a much easier entry point. Uh, definitely, than it's either, like than either of those. Yeah. So maybe for you, it, it, when I think about that kind of stuff, I think about like anger. I guess is the emotion rather sure. than like sarcasm and tongue in cheek and stuff. Um, and and these other bands definitely seem to tap that. In me personally, um, but I think sure. part of it too is just that, like that was my exposure order. You know, it, you see, um, I don't know, the you see Blade Runner before you see the first Star Wars movie, and now you're kind of fucked. You're like, well, I mean, yeah, it looks good, but like, have you seen Blade Runner? You know, um, it's just different, right? Um, but but it's interesting to me because I mean you're right it's 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 completely on the nose about the record industry in particular, um, and these other ones like you know a, you know Rat in a Cage by the Pumpkins or whatever is like it's 
it's you know they 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 did the shine on thing right take the lyrics that are pretty direct to the record industry and put a little bit of a gloss over it that makes it more generic and more appealing to like to wider topics right but uh same foundation completely of being trapped and you know fuck this you know system uh they're the first record first song on um uh Siamese Dream by the Pumpkins. It's called Chair of Rock and that one's on the radio and that's that's about the record industry at large too in a, in a large part. Um but anyway, Okay, yeah. but 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 here's my point. If I hear Chair of Rock. Sure. And I don't know the lyrics to Chair of Rock. It's the one that goes let me out is the uh chorus. Okay, but yeah. okay, so admittedly, like sure. if I hear that and yeah. I hear have a cigar Right. Which one is more direct? Yeah. Oh, definitely. Have a as a as a direct hit, right? On the industry, which admittedly maybe yeah, hypocritically, sort of heavy handed on, on the, the industry the... that has made them very wealthy. Right. The the sort of heavy handed on the nose lyrics. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah definitely. That, that's what Roger Waters does. That I feel like very few others did after him. Right. Which was like be like really direct. Like no, fuck you, hand that fed me. Right, and, um, until you get I, to literally like the hand that feeds by the age nails. That's you know about okay, the, about sure. the George W. Bush, for example. But again, same kind right. of thing where it's kind of like they don't actually call out George W. Bush in the song. Whereas, like you know, I we get a few records down here, and we're going to be calling out Maggie, you know, Margaret Thatcher directly, right? By Roger. Yeah, Moore, a lot so. of calling out of Margaret Thatcher, um, <laughs> which we'll, we'll we'll hit on. Yeah. Um, so yeah. no, no, I, I I do I I do feel. Certainly, okay, at least we can agree. Have a Cigar is a precursor to all of those other protest songs. Absolutely, for Pink Floyd. That came yeah. later, right? Oh, yeah, 100%. Did Have a Cigar gave permission to those others to I do feel like, Yes, I feel like Wish You Were Here is a classic, classic, like classic rock song. That is like it's basically a nice Led Zeppelin song. You could stick "Wish You Were Here" right in the middle of Led Zeppelin three somewhere, and it would go perfect. Sure, I okay. think that that's true. And yes, you're definitely right that I think that "Have a Cigar." I think between that and like "Welcome to the Machine," like you know, how, like to me, metal is a run a runner up, a, a test run of Dark Side. I feel like those two yeah. songs, "Have a Cigar" and uh, "Welcome to the Machine," are a uh, a test run for the wall. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, yeah, that's how I personally I feel. I because it is. It's the wall is much more bite-sized little packages that all move together as a unit. But any one of them, you can take a lot of little chunks out of there. It's like its own little weird, half-finished, sometimes like jarring little little clip of something that sometimes directly on the nose, sometimes not, but definitely has a, a funk. I guess is that what we want to call it. That, that it kind okay. of that that have a cigar has um yeah it absolutely has a funk absolutely 100 percent yeah like uh you know another brick on the wall part too like i wonder playing those kind of back to back if you get the same sort of jump to it you know um, another brick in the wall has like a, a disco beat to right. it and we'll we'll hit that when we yeah. talk about that next week but yeah. i i do think have a cigar definitely has like a kind of a funk to it uh, yeah. the most 70s sounding <laughs> song in my yeah. in my opinion yeah. Uh, yeah but it but it holds up Right. It definitely holds up. The message certainly holds up. Definitely. Um, in, in, in my mind. Right. The lyrics are great. 
the the voice is great bringing in Rory Harper to sing that lyric man uh, I think was a, a, a great move um, and uh, so basically what I what I read about this was that they did it in in typical Pink Floyd fashion, they did not offer Roy Harper much in the way of compensation. <laughs> they probably did. They were probably like, "Oh, nice man," when he left. To where eventually, Roy Harper basically extracted from them the right to perform that song live. Free, <laughs> right? Like the, the typical Pink Floyd. No, no, this is our idea. We're not going to pay you for All it. Right. And we're going to pay you very little live. Uh, you got to pay us some royalties, right? So they basically he got the right to perform the song, and I've looked. I've tried to find YouTube of like Roy Harper, and I have not found any of him singing this song. It does sound like on the uh, "Wish You Were Here" tour when they played Nebworth, uh, he joined them on stage and sang it. Um, on that particular performance okay but that was about it it doesn't sound like he certainly has not made a living on have a cigar okay right and, but again he's been a very successful singer songwriter in his own right now is this sort he of doesn't like need... is this sort of like the alan parsons project kind of thing where it's like beloved by musicians more than necessarily fans or Oh, one hundred percent. Rory Harper's. I think Rory Harper is like revered by musicians. Okay. Um, he is a musician's musician. Okay. By all accounts. Interesting. And again, I've heard Stormcock. I really like it. I think it's a great album. I mean, it's definitely, but, it's certainly mm-hmm. the best uh, titled album of all time. Best I, named album I, of all I, time. The no, you no question. It to me, I was like, well. Well, I guess there's never going to be anything better than that for an album title. No, no, not at all. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and 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 you won't find if you listen to it, you'll listen to it, and you'll think this is really good, and you'll also think not one of these songs would have ever made it on the radio. Yeah, because you said they're all not for once. Yeah, they're real long and they're acoustic, but they're great, and they're well done. They're well produced. Right. But they're they're not ever going to make it on the radio. Yeah, yeah, interesting. So Roy Harper, great artist, brilliant vocals on "Have a Cigar." Yeah, and then you segue into the title tuning of the radio. Yes, and this I did not know until I was reading about it. I didn't know that it's supposed to sound like somebody playing guitar along with what they're listening to on the radio. I, okay, yeah. I never put that together, and I guess it's one of those mm-hmm. things that once you know it, now you can never unknow it. Right. I just, I, I, I just never. To me, it just sounded like that was part of the guitar, like that the baby was like they were making this radio effect on it and stuff. But it's supposed to sound like, and if you put it on headphones, you'll hear it. But there's definitely a separation right. of like that radio guitar is over here. And the person yeah. who's starting up to get ready to play their own song and play the real song they're about to hear is somewhere right. else in the space, uh, you know, around your head. Um, pretty cool. I, so I like it. I, I have to say, if we're talking about our personal experiences, sure. I had literally never heard this song until I was probably 18 years old. I I don't think and, that's true for me. I think that I've heard it on the radio, but I think I definitely it was it was definitely one of those ones where I got the record. I got there was a Christmas where I got 
Dark Side of the Moon and Wish You Were Here of my own volition. Like I basically had some okay. money one of my yeah. uncles or something had given me, got, you know, my parents while we were in Colorado visiting grandparents to go out to a Best Buy and I grabbed sure. those two records. And I remember sure. hearing it and Welcome to the Machine is the one that I was putting on repeat for a while at first. Because like I said, it sounded like Nine Inch Nails to me. But I yeah. remember hearing Wish You Were Here and I, I do you think that there's something like a cultural resurgence or something that happened in the last decade or two? Oh, a thousand percent. Because like I, I heard that song and it was like, how is this not how is this not the song that like is on the classic radio all of the time? No, that song is aged better than probably any other Pink Floyd right. song. Like that has been a um I feel I, I, I don't know how big it was at the time. I really don't have the concept of how that was. Right. Back then, right. I know I did, if I listen to uh, again KZPS uh, Dallas Fort Worth classic rock radio, like the 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 quintessential classic rock station, sure. And DFW, you're going to hear Pink Floyd. You're going to hear "Wish You Were Here." Rarely, yeah. And if "Comfortably Numb" didn't exist, you would hear it a lot more. You were going to hear "Comfortably Numb" a lot. Yep. You were going to hear "Time" yep. a lot. Yep. You were going to hear another brick in like the wall hell. sometimes. Another brick in the wall, run like hell. Yep. A lot. Uh, money. Hey a lot. you, I think, sometimes. Hey hey you, yeah. for sure. Yeah. A lot. But you were gonna hear I remember the first time hearing Wish You Were Here being like in the parking lot of some place. I, I don't remember where. But I <laughs> yeah. was wait I was waiting, like I was waiting for something. Right. And I'm in the parking lot and I hear it and I hear this this radio lo-fi sounding guitar and then it kicks into the and i hear that and i'm like what it was like a sunday morning with sometimes on sunday mornings they would play different yeah you're like oh is this like a country station thing yes right no i knew it was kcps but sometimes they would play like deep cuts well i mean that's what i'm saying like the song and so i'm like okay what what is and then i i hear the song and it's I listened to the whole thing. Wish you were here. Okay. And I, and I'm, I'm in my mind, I'm like, that's a good song. Like, why have I never heard that? And then I, later on, after I heard the Pink Floyd catalog and I realized what a big player it was, but that was not a big player on classic rock radio. Right. Which is crazy. When we were kids. Yeah. I don't. Like, that was absolutely not. Like, I did not hear that until I was an older teenager, which is strange because I listened to classic rock radio basically from the time I was born. Right, right. And I'd never heard it. Yeah. Do you feel country? I feel country in it. Uh, I, uh, may, maybe a little bit. Yeah. Uh, basically, Gilmore said that the concept arose from the fact that he had just bought a twelve-string guitar. <laughs> He's like, I want to play something just, on it. He was just, he was just picking around on it. Right. Yeah. Um, and he found something that sounded good. And no, you can hear the lyrics. I mean, I hear the lyrics, and sometimes I, uh, at times in my life, I've thought about like my brother, right. who I at times have not felt close to. Right. And it's. You like you hear it and you're like, yeah, I I feel this, I yeah, I wish you were here. I like, I no, there's, it's probably the most relatable Pink Floyd song. Yeah, right. 
in it terms gives everyone in terms of in their one life. that's like forlorn you know it's for sure i think that's one of the things interesting is i remember that there was uh, i think you knew which song in particular but there was one like three or four albums in where roger waters literally wrote some kind of love song to the woman he was with at the time i'm not sure if it was a wife or not um pink floyd doesn't really have sweet songs um no you know and this is a very sweet and very very um vulnerable song um in the middle of like you know like yeah fucking have a cigar and you know uh uh welcome to the machine it's you could take those two out you could do shine on and go into wish you were here and into shine on again and probably stitch them together and it'd all just be this like 20 minute epic of shine on you know sure um yeah it's i don't know man like it it just hits and i think i think for me that it hits because there's a lot of there's a lot of concepts in it it's not just the concept of like losing someone but it's it has that same feeling of welcome to the machine kind of thing of like so you think you can tell heaven from hell blue skies from pain can you tell green field from a cold steel rail um, you know, did, did they get you to trade your heroes for ghosts, your ashes for trees, hot air for a cool breeze, cold comfort for change? It's it's all these things that like. Yeah, as you get older, each one of these lines start making more and more. Sense, it's, it's, you know? it's, it's, it's almost it's almost like, have you been taken advantage of? Exactly. And did you know what you were bargaining for when you did it? Yeah. You know, right. Um, right. I, yeah. To me, when I listen to this song, I don't necessarily feel like lost for a certain person. I feel like a loss for like innocence, like for myself or something, like for those things that you dream about. Which I mean, I guess is part of the welcome to the machine theme, right? Those those things no, you think I, are going to be different, and maybe this is the song. This is the lament for them becoming rich, and and the concept think, no, of, I, that you had that that quote at the beginning of Gilmore being like, yeah, so we realized everything we ever dreamed of happening, and right. it, life still goes on, and it didn't actually fix some things, and that that makes some things harder because you're like, oh my but, god, I thought all I needed was to get the gold star sticker, you know. Um, but but some some of these words to me. Uh, evoke something that I've realized about myself recently, sure. which is like in my early 20s sure. or even my late teens, like no one told me and no one made clear to me that it was okay to look out for myself. Right. Right. Like yeah. no one told me like, it's okay if you hurt someone else's feelings. Right. It's okay if you make someone else mad. Right. Look out for you. Right. Like do what's right for you. Right. And that will end up being okay for other people. Right. But do what's right for you. And right. I think there's a lot there, especially in Wish You Were Here. Yeah. Especially in Have a Cigar. Yeah. That is evocative of sort, that sort idea. Of trading some of your innocence and some of your naivety and some, Absolutely. some part of yourself for a concept of something that, like, you didn't necessarily have to make that trade, right? Nobody yes. can do better. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, right, right. Like at the time I just thought this is this is what you do. Right. You you trade this for that. Right. Then you give up this for that. Exactly. Right. And ashes for trees. No no yeah. right. And then no one told me it was okay to be like, no, you don't have to make that deal. 
Right. You you can look out for yourself. Right. And that's something I, I deal with today as someone who's almost 40. And it's something that when I hear lyrics like that, like it really hits home. Right. It still does. And that's why that's why Dark Side, that's why I wish you were here. Like today and why like when I hear like Led Zeppelin 2, sure. I'm like, okay, good songs. Sure. I like them. They don't say much to me. Yeah. Right? Like they don't they don't like I there's nothing there that's like, oh man, I get that. Yeah, yeah. Right? Right. But with Dark Side and Wish You Were Here, like there's a lot there. Yes. Yeah. That it's, uh, really it's free like hits Maybe home. it's the opposite right? of like therapy. There's, you know, it's like yeah, because it really makes you think. Like you said earlier, it's, it's cerebral, right? It's it's yes, it, it, it strikes yeah. you deep. You know, absolutely, absolutely. So you have Wish You Were Here. Now, which, do you do you know anything you, about? the recording of this i don't the the book i read and and frankly like basically you know as you might predict a lot of it was about dark side and a lot of it was about the wall which is where i think a lot mm-hmm. of people's interest might be um and just kind of skimmed over this you know i mentioned the sid story um i i don't know about this track in particular about you know like what went into it what you know is it gilmore wrote it no, it was Gilmore uh, came up with a guitar riff. Okay. That, dun, 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 dun. Right. And uh, Waters, um, I presume, wrote the words uh, basically just about loss. Right. About just someone who's not there. Right. Who you wish was there. Right. And which is carries on with the Sid theme. Uh, Waters would argue that, no, it's not about Sid. It's just about loss in general. Right. Kind of like Sean on you, Crazy Diamond. But Gilmore, this was one of his real, like, musical riffs. Um, but I don't know. I don't know any more about it. Okay. I, d- I don't know that there is much more out there about it. Right. And in and, and the book that I read, which is very detailed, I don't recall there being, like, a big section on Wish You Were Here. Yeah. Which I think is the same as same about the one you read, right? Let's see. So, yeah, I don't. I'm not saying a lot here in uh, in the wiki about it. No, I yeah, I don't say, think like it was. Said, Waters wrote the lyrics. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, a straightforward song. Uh, <laughs> Gilmore suggested that there be a little quote unquote country fiddle at the end of the song, which I could see. I mean, it, it kind of sounds a little <laughs> bit like fiddle, the way that they've made the 12 string kind of ramble a little bit. And, and it seems like it warbles a little bit more than like, maybe it would just completely clean, you know? Uh, but yeah, but it's always the song. Right. Like, I mean, if, if there's a Pink Floyd's cover song, I remember there was like a, like sort of part of Alice in Chains or something did a, cover of uh another brick in the wall in the late 90s or something but man it's it's always wish you were here you know um i don't think i've ever heard anybody and i mean it would be like a commercial suicide thing to do like be like i'm gonna cover comfortably numb like no you're not gonna do that <laughs> like if you do right. that you're just gonna make yourself look like a fool because it's not gonna be as good right um 
I, there's there's a number of people I've covered wish you were here that are like you know famous famous rock stars there's a version by a band called Sparkle Horse that has uh, Tom York from Radiohead doing the lyrics doing the vocals and they literally recorded him like over a telephone which is kind of a great homage to the uh, radio at the beginning of the original sure song in the beginning yeah and it is really really cool and sounds very very forlorn and it, I, I'm not sure if it was actually over a telephone or like sort of some studio magic but uh, the way I always picture it is this dude is like literally phoning someone from being on tour and singing the song from like some you know, cold motel room sitting at that single mm-hmm. chair table underneath like a lamp that's flickering, you know, um, it's just such a yeah. great song. Yeah. I think that, I, I think that in a lot of ways it, it, to me, it harkens to innocence and, and, and that resonates with me lost innocence and in particular foolish trades of innocence, you know? So, okay. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good way to describe yeah. it. And when you hear the, like when you hear the pulse tour, right. Or the Division Bell tour recording on the album Pulse of that that song, yeah. like it is a sing along with David Gilmore, yeah, but right? Like it is sixty thousand people singing "Wish You Were Here" right. in a way that you can't really sing along to any other Pink Floyd song, right? And it's a moment, and it's a moment that I regret that I've never had. Yeah. It is what it is. Like different I, songs grab different yeah. people, right? Uh, no, I mean I love that song, yeah. and I, I it's, it's not my number one song on that album, but it's probably my number two right. song on that album. Like it's it's a great song, um, and no, I think it's absolutely great, sure. and it it says something. I one thing I love about it is that the fact that like it can say something to anyone, right? Like you could hear those lyrics, right? As opposed to, and they're opposed to have a cigar, right? Being like, it's kind of hard to apply that to your relationship with your your mom or something, you know, but, but shot, but shine on is very similar. Like, like you could apply those lyrics to someone in your life that you know, or someone who's passed. Yeah. Definitely. Like someone who's not here anymore, who you just, you just wish was here. Right. Definitely. And that's, it's sad and it's dark. Yeah. And, but it's brilliant. Right. And then after so that. So you have that. Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. And so, so you have Wish You Were Here and then the last song is like a coda or what did you call it? A re- reprise? Uh, like a reprise. Right. Yeah. Of, of Shine On and a lyrics. Does it have lyrics? It does, right? I think it's just the same thing over again. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like the whole book is the whole the whole album is bookended by, um, you know, this this one song that um, do you know? Does it loop? It probably does loop. It probably it goes out the same way as it comes in, just the same as Dark Side and the Wall, and I think Animals obviously too. Um, but yeah, it's it. So you you start with this nine minute, twelve minute shine on thing. We walk through um, Welcome to the Machine and have a cigar. And then we have this kind of callback to the, again, the loss of something that uh, somebody's, you know, gone through or whatnot. Maybe it's the remorse of getting into the record industry in particular or or just kind of the Sid biography or whatever it means to you. And then we get to the Shine On part at the end, which is kind of like, 
you know, it, it's it's the wall does this right where the 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 theme throughout is another brick in the wall. And at the beginning of that record, it's, you know, it, it's about the kids, right? And the, we don't need education and stuff. And by the end of the record, it's like this this grown-up adult realizing that it was, you know, each of those bricks that they put into this wall that they've built between themselves and whatever, right, um, you know, w- was not a good idea. It's a very similar theme, right, um, to, right. you know, to this. Um, yeah, so... It, I don't know. It, I like Wish You Here a lot. There's there's only a couple little bits of trivia I have about it. Um, they, <laughs> you know, in Spinal Tap, where they want the the cover to be all black, the black album, where it's uh, none more black. It's as black as it could possibly be. Which <laughs> can't uh, be any more black. It can't be any more black, right? <laughs> which uh, Metallica, I guess, famously did that. I didn't know until. Another, Jeez, another band also famously did that. Yeah, it, 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 I didn't know until my 20s that there actually was anything on the Black Album's cover for Metallica. Like, it's the faintest thing, you know. Um, okay. Anyway, um, they wanted this album, and they did this for Dark Side too. They wanted Dark Side, and Dark Side came after some of the Zeppelin records. I don't know if Zeppelin was the first one that did this, but they famously did it, where... As soon as possible, whenever they had a leg up enough on against the record company, they demanded that their damn name would not be on the record. And then they also demanded for some of them that yeah. the damn title of the record wouldn't be on it. It'd just be, you know, the artwork. And like, okay. So Darkside Darkside had this similar situation where the, I think it ultimately did go on the spine, or maybe it didn't at the very first pressing or something. And but at least it's an iconic picture. Wish <laughs> you were here. The band was arguing for black cellophane over the album. So this iconic artwork of the guy shaking the hands with the other guy who's on fire at the Universal, you know, uh, movie sure. hut or whatever. Yep. And they're like, let's put it in a pink, uh, in a black cellophane bag that's completely opaque. No title. <laughs> right. No band name. Nothing. You know, and of course, the compromise that they put the sticker on the front. That's a famous sticker. If you get the reissues today, it's the exact same sticker. It's like it's it's some of the artwork by the same guy who did a lot of the uh, Welcome to the Machine artwork and the, the album's artwork in general. But like they were trying to be that band. They were trying to ship the album that, you know, is is unknown, um, which is hilarious. To right. Me. And I, I, I do think there's. It is really incredible because, like, the album cover to me should be one of those things that, like, they promote heavily. Right? What? What are they? Because, like, this genius. Like, there's there are two clear businessmen shaking hands. Right. One of them is clearly getting burned. Right. right? Which is a obvious metaphor. Right. Yeah. For not, I don't even a metaphor. Like, just <laughs> right. a clear message that like anytime two men shake an agreement right someone's getting fucked <laughs> right like someone's getting absolutely right. fucked in this right. deal right and someone's not and if you don't know who's not getting fucked you're the one getting fucked <laughs> right yeah and that's something we've heard recently in the last few years but i think pink floyd absolutely like was a pioneer in that idea. I mean, I I think that's one of the great... I think that's a better album cover than Dark Side of the Moon. I do, too. Like, and I, Dark Side of the Moon is a, like an iconic album right. cover with the pyramid and the prism and all that. Right. 
Yes, no. Wish you were here. Yeah. That is one of the greatest album covers of all, all right. time. I think it's I I would argue I think it's the best Pink Floyd album cover. It's I, I totally yeah. agree. I I agree. Yeah, yeah completely. Yeah. Yeah. And, better, and, than and like all these, better than Adam Hart Mother. Better than Adam Hart Yeah, and all these photos that happened after, right? That were like that style thing, right? The um mm-hmm. you know, uh what was it? I think they had a shine on box set, right? That had like these like uh like this naked woman like flying in the sky, like just like magical sure. stuff. There there's a there's a photo on the inside of the record where there's a guy who's like standing completely He's diving mm-hmm. and his, his it's just like his bat, bottom half of his body in his uh, swim trunks are completely straight up out of the water. And it's just like this weird, like, Genius. you know, in like, like Momentary Lapse is a famous photo, Great. right? Yeah. The beginning of the, the, the cover for Great. Momentary Lapse or the cover for Division Bell. All of that shit yeah. you put right down the line with this Wish You Were Here album car, are, and you're like, man... I don't give a shit about any of the Pink Floyd records that came before this. This is the iconic Pink Floyd imagery I'm familiar with, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and so I saw one of the most genius things I've ever seen is a few years ago, there was a, a YouTube video where Gilmore and his band, this is from the mid-2000s, right. and they're rehearsing and... There's a like a documentary crew, and Gilmore says, like, by weird coincidence, Roger and his band are rehearsing right across the alley, right, in another space. So uh, we're, I'm going to go over and say hello, and uh, so they they meet out in like West Side Story, right? Like they meet <laughs> out in the street, they shake hands, they say hello. And uh, Gilmore's like, yeah, we've been on the road. We're just knocking off the rust, going back on the road. Roger's like, has it been fun? And Gilmore's like, yeah, we've had a good time. And they they shake hands, and someone screenshotted that and put, like, Gilmore with the flames on his back (laughs) like he's getting burned. (laughs) And I thought that was the most genius thing I've ever seen. Like, like, these guys still want to fuck each other for sure, right? (laughs) Like either one of these guys would fuck the other one over oh, man, in a heartbeat. That's awesome. Right? Right. Like they at that time they had had it with each other. But they're gonna play nice for the cameras. They're gonna say hello. They're in a weird space where they're in the same place. It seems weird not to say hi for the cameras. Right. So they're gonna do right. it. But they wanna fuck the other guy over so bad. <laughs> that's funny. Both of them, do. right? So, no, I the album cover is great. The Wish You Were Here reprise is great. You mean Shine um, On, Shine On reprise? Or I'm sorry, Shine On the reprise is great. If you, no, it, it's not Dark Side of the Moon. It was a but fantastic like fall on, and if Dark Side no, didn't if, exist, it would still be hailed as like one of the best. Exactly, records. like I said, Dark Side. If Dark Side didn't exist, you would hear this album. Yeah, and if this were the only thing Pink Floyd ever yeah. did, you would say, "Holy, Holy shit. fucking shit! Who are these guys? Right. And why yeah. did they never do anything yeah. else?" Yeah, it's it's that right. good. It's it's so unbelievably great for a band who were at their wits' end. They wanted nothing to do with one another at that yep. point. They had no good ideas. Yep. And they just pulled a rabbit out of the hat. Yep. 
and said, here we go. Right. Let's let's do this. Right. It's 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 like Un- a mix unreal. of the metal process and the you know the dark side process. Dark yeah. side was a concept for sure all the way through. Yeah. And they definitely have a concept in which we hear and animals and the wall, but it's it's less intense, yeah. I guess. Is is that the way you put it? That it's like a less intense uh sure. it's definitely a less intense listening experience in my personal opinion. It's it you know, it's 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 got like a heavy heart to it in my personal opinion. Yeah. You know, but it's it's man, uh, Dark Side is heavy and is dark and is it, it's like an existential questioning of like what your life's purpose is and if you've been doing the wrong thing your entire life or you know. Yeah, but but isn't isn't the song "Wish You Were Here" like incredibly accessible in a way that songs on Dark Side are yeah, not? Right. It's like you can hear that song and it can mean anything right. to yeah, you. Yeah, definitely. Right. Right. And it has to mean something to you. There's no one in their life could hear that song right. and not be able to apply it to someone in their life that they wish was still there, right? right? Like that, that is so accessible. So before we talk about animals, we have to talk about the Wish You Were Here tour. Okay. So here we have Pink Floyd who has catapulted into arenas. Now they're in big venues, big like 10, 15, 20,000 seat venues and the occasional stadium. And basically what you have now is like they're doing like four or five nights in a row at like the Los Angeles Sports Arena. Um, I don't see one theater on this. Yeah, they're they're like firmly in stadium settings at this point forever. I see. In fact, Pittsburgh Three River Stadium, which is like a 70,000 seat stadium. Uh But also what's weird about this is that instead of being like two years long like Dark Side was, this goes from April of 1975. The last show is July of 1975. Yeah, and they take all of 76 off, right? I think like completely. Yeah, they were, they were like they, – they were burned out, man. Yeah. They were so burned out by this yeah. time. Like they had been through this Dark Side experience. Well, like, they toured about, with it twice basically. What about this? We all know about the when you acquire your dreams, Mm -hmm. that's not the end. And the classic trope is you acquire your dreams and you can't do it twice. And so everybody knows now you're fallible and it was just luck. Sure. So what is the fucking power move? The power move is to do it fucking twice, to bring it on home. Yeah. And to really prove, especially for yourself, not for anybody else, but for yourself, that like mm-hmm. I, it's not just a stroke of luck that happened. I'm fucking awesome. Right. I win life. Right. So these guys go through the existential nightmare. That's hilarious because that's exactly what their their damn album that gave them the existential nightmare. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Is about. Yeah. Completely. They yeah. go through it. They come through it. They come out with something like we said. If Dark Side didn't exist, I I personally think that Wish You Were Here would be the record, the Pink Floyd record. Um, oh, for sure. Above I, the wall, yeah. above metal. Above, d- despite my opinions of these different records, I'm like it would be Wish You Were Here was it would be it, even if yep. those other ones existed. And completely agree. Now you can take a year off 
and not give a shit, right? I no, they've they, they've earned yeah, it at this point. Right, they've earned at this point the ability to say like I'm I'm done. Right, and not only like, not only I'm, am I done, I can yeah. do this whenever I want to because look, I just did yep. it twice, motherfuckers. Right, for sure. Yeah. So, so they take seventy six off, and in my opinion, and I don't know, I, I really don't know how much. Gilmore worked on the rest of the records. Obviously, does is Wright kicked out during Animals or is it after? No, that was really the wall. Okay, so yeah, everybody's got houses. Um, yeah, very leisurely. Seventy six after literally busting their ass for twelve years, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so these guys take seventy six off. They come back to the studio. They're looking around on the floor. They find a couple of reels of tape. Raving and Drooling is one of these songs. And You've Got to Be Crazy yep. is another one. In particular, yep. they had played these songs live as they're working on them during Dark Side of the Moon tour. So this is a common Pink Floyd thing right. that would happen where starting with Dark Side of the Moon, like they would have these pieces of songs that they would like tour with. Yep. And they would perfect as time went on. Yeah, ultimate fucking jam band, man. Kind right. of, except except they're good. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's exactly. Like what I've I was seen why wi- I've seen widespread. <laughs> I've seen widespread panic, and and I'd rather fucking see Pink Floyd, right? For sure. Fish or uh, Grateful Dead or yeah. Yeah. Oh God, yeah. Fish. <laughs> Grateful Dead. Oh man. Like, have you ever listened to live recordings of the Grateful Dead? They're fucking terrible. <laughs> like, those are bad. I we'll we'll talk about Is that. Is LSD later. legal in Texas? I think it might be up here or something. I feel like we're not giving Grateful Dead a fair shake, or, or, or maybe no, maybe we're supposed uh, to pop like a bunch of animals, won, like a lot. Drugs have won the war on drugs. I think in Washington or was yeah, it? Yeah, I think it's Oregon. But um. Okay. Yeah, that's the only way Grateful Dead is going to start making sense to me, I think. But anyway. Mm-hmm. So they, they've got these these pieces of songs that they started before Wish You Were Here that they, when Shine On happened, they were like, okay, put these songs aside because they don't really fit. Right. So now they have this new album they're ready to make. And they have raving and drooling. They have you got to be crazy, which they turn into like sheep and dogs. And it sounds to me like a very like 1984 type yes. album, which is which is a good uh, a good insight because it's loosely based on uh, Animal Farm by the same writer okay. as 1984, right? George sure. Orwell. Okay. To some degree, like conceptually a little bit. Sure. And listen, I mean, bottom line, we'll we'll talk about uh, animals, the recording of it. It's not nearly as accessible as Dark Side or Wish You Were Here. Right. It's absolutely a harder listen. If for no other reason than the long musical interludes are not nearly as listenable. The songs aren't tight. 
Shine On right. sounds like like Echoes definitely has a couple of moments in it. There are some stretched out moments. You're like, okay, we really, I, I love the song, but there's three minutes we could have just dropped completely, and it would have been none the less. Not that I don't like this segment, but there's just literally nothing. The whale sounds or something for a minute and a yeah. half, right? Shine On, like you were saying earlier, is like that perfect stairway opus of here's a long Pink Floyd song that goes through a lot of different movements. You know, Comfortably Numb is a long song, but Shine On is like all these different movements. It's like six songs in one or something. It's really, really well done. It's very tight. And then you get Dogs is the 17-minute one on Animals. And I, yeah. I love Animals. Animals, you know, when I was a young, angry man up until... <laughs> a couple of years ago or whatever when metal kind of for whatever reason became my favorite personally i it was my favorite i loved it i just loved i, I didn't even know the concept until i read this dumb book that was about like animal farms i've never even listened read the lyrics of it but i do know lyrics that stick out to me that like in particular on their own this line or that line i'm like yeah man but dogs is a 17 minute song man I, you're talking about like a few minutes short of echoes and it's not as good my personal opinion it's it's mm-hmm. it's it's a little bit it's 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 fine it works the way it works it works together it flows together fine maybe it's just like a little bit of a, like a brutal trip or something it just doesn't feel good it feels very dissonant to me and like, like no it, it feels yeah 100 scary i get it. it it's not nearly as accessible right. and not one of these songs was like a radio staple. Right? right? Did, like, yeah. in Animals, are any of these songs songs you ever heard on classic rock no, radio? No, never. Not one. So the only one I ever heard was Pigs, three different ones. And that was, again, on like a Saturday or Sunday morning when they would play different stuff right. sometimes. Right. Um, but no, these are... This is really the forgotten... Pink Floyd up, and I think I. Mm, you should check out the final cut, but okay. No, no, I'm all in on final cut. <laughs> I love that. I fucking love it. I think that. Well, but I mean, I, I, know, get, yeah, I guess to take the joke further, definitely things like More and Obscured by Clouds are the forgotten records. These like little two. But if you, but if you, into soundtracks. But, but yes, yeah, I agree. Like when, like when my, like uh, my my neighbor, like loves classic rock and the like when I was in my yard one day, we got to talking one day and he was like, ah, we should hang out one day and talk about uh, music. And I'm like, all right. So one night, one night, like a year ago, I texted him. I was like, Hey, my wife's out of town. We got nothing going on. Just, uh, you know, you want to come over, let's come over and have a drink and, uh, listen to some music. So he's, he comes over and he hauls, like I sit in my garage and he hauls over his speaker, his big Bluetooth speaker. And he's like, Okay, so I like his plan. He's like, so I thought you'd like pick a band and you pick like your two or three favorite songs, and then I'll pick my band and I'll pick my two or three favorite and then songs. You hit him with dogs similar, and he's like, fuck similar, you, man. Similar, similar to the, yeah, similar to the first idea for this podcast, really. <laughs> and he picks Pink Floyd, and the first song he picks is "Picks Three Different Ones." Oh, no. And I'm like, really? holy shit, dude! This is like my favorite Pink Floyd song. Like, this is, I love this right. song. Twelve minutes. And epic, no one man. else. Oh, it's okay. So here's the thing. Animals 
is where we get to the point where Waters is so adamant about being like very political, right? right? Like right. he's really like he's 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 done with playing around at this point. But I do think the album, while not as accessible as Dark Side or Wish You Were Here. I do think there are some real gems, and I oh, think yeah. Pig's Three Different Ones is the standout on that album. And I think anyone who's heard the album would agree, right? Like, yeah. is there another song that you would recommend someone listen to on this album? I this is one that's like Dark Side to me, where like I have never listened to any song on this album ever by itself ever i've always listened to it all the way through it's a 40 minute record it's and it it flows really well and yeah i don't know but but again like like none of the songs are pop songs you know like the very beginning even even the beginning um you know pigs on the wing and the in the ending coda to it or reprise of it even though it's not as long as shine on it's like a minute and a half song it's a two minute song there's like split into two. It's like one three minute song split into two pieces that can only be listened to as an intro to the, the beginning of the album in the end of the album. In my personal opinion, okay. that's how it's always been to me. So when I tell somebody to listen to Pink Floyd, absolutely. There's nothing off animals that I can cherry pick like comfortably numb or something, right? Or money or whatever. So when we hear uh, pigs, three different ones, that stands out to me just again for its directness where it names people right it is very biting and so you hear like okay so words like let me find the lyrics again so like hey you white house Haha, Sherrod, you are. What is he doing? So, like, that's... (laughs) So, okay, so that is an act... I I always thought that was a critique against the American White House. I thought that was Roger Waters' first tiptoe into American politics. No. That was a morality campaigner named Mary Whitehouse. Okay. Who is also described as a house-proud town mouse. Right who has kept it all on the inside. Like, she was just a right-wing campaigner. Interesting. At that time. Huh. And when you hear, like, you fucked up old hag. <laughs> like, so I, I think there's a lot of British politics. This is where, okay, this is where Roger goes into an area where I think a lot of Americans cannot relate because we delve really into British stuff here. Right. Right. Where it's like, okay, it doesn't translate. Did you read Animal Farm? I didn't. I did. Yeah. Pigs are the overlords. (laughs) Sheep are the workers. Yeah. I I, I read it at my conservative Christian college where the message was construed differently, maybe, than... (laughs) The pigs were glorified. Mary Whitehouse was accosted by this record, and it was obviously devil music. Absolutely. Um, But my basic understanding is pigs is basically an allusion to the upper class, the rich, Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Dogs is 100%. dogs is middle class or working class. Okay, I think I I would I, I would believe I, that. I, I'd have to, look, but I, I, can't, I, I can't remember. It's it's either dogs or sheep is the the uh, the middle class. And I mean, I mean, at the same time, like I always thought of sheep as like you know the colloquial way in culture we mean sheep, which is so like uh, followers so, who don't really uh, according, have according, a lot of thought on their so own. So according according to Wiki, dogs concentrates on the aggressive, ruthlessly competitive world of business. Describing a high-powered businessman. Okay. So I. So pigs is more like the aristocrats, the 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 real uber rich uh, it, politics and such. Yeah. Okay. Isn't the problem with animals that we have to talk about this? <laughs> that we're not sure. <laughs> exactly. Right. Isn't for, that for record, the issue? Used to be my favorite right? Pink Floyd record. Right. I would just put it on and be like, man, animals? I feel angry, and this makes it this this feels good, you know. Um, yeah, but it was—it's just so different because Dark Side is like there's no ambiguity. Yeah. Uh, wish you were here. Right. There's really no ambiguity, right. and then animals—it's like you have to think like, okay, what is this thing? Right. Is this—is this good? Are the dogs good? Are the dogs right. bad? Are the like you? It's—it's it's not as it's clear. Not, but like there's like and it's. <sighs> this is the Led Zeppelin Pink Floyd record. It has. These okay. it has these turns to it that are just like man, that is fucking epic. Like when I say this line, tell me you can't hear them singing this in the song, hopelessly passing your time in the grassland away. Yeah, Dude, like that part is like no, it picks up immediately and starts like just running, and you're like ah, yeah, it's so good, and it's like it's it's the Pink Floyd record. Compared to these other ones, the sandwich around it, it's the Pink Floyd record where it's like, I'm listening to the music more than the words. That's that's the weird thing about it. Whereas like Dark Side, it's like both parts are really important to me. Wish you were here. Both parts are very important to me. The wall, like I'm, we'll, we'll talk about that more uh, in the next episode. To me, it's like the words that there there are moments like comfortably numb and hey you where the music I think matches the words and meets it you know equally and whatnot. And there's a lot where I feel yeah. like um, Roger's trying to say some stuff and, and trying to get some music to get it between here and there um you know, f- so filler, I, for like a better word and this one man like i i don't know dude like there's just like these cool and biting and like sort of sneering turns in the music that just like fit the the emotion of the way they yeah. sing these lyrics better um sure. and, and I, yeah i agree with that and, and that's what i've always related to and like yeah dude i'm listening i'm reading the lyrics for the first time in my life right now for sheep like i've never read them but but mm-hmm. i see that line hopelessly passing your time in the grassland away and i'm like oh i gotta listen to this record right after this recording 100 percent. so you know? i i've i've always said like not always but i've said recently like I feel like a kind of a douchebag for saying like animals is my favorite Pink Floyd album. <laughs> yep. Well, and I think that's it's unfair because it's probably not true. Sure. Like, no, Dark Side is. It's just you've heard it so many times. Yeah. And right. Dark Side doesn't get doesn't get old to me. Neither does Wish You Were Here. It doesn't get old to me at all. Uh, right, but Dark Side um, is so abstract. Wish You Were Here is so like I, I hate to say this word, but uneven. The same way metal is, where it's like I don't, I don't, I don't know, man. I, 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 I don't like, think Dark Side like, is abstract. I think Dark Side is really direct. 
abstract in that there's a lot of music in between. That's a lot of you okay, sure, okay, going yeah. up and down into dream states and getting pulled into them and pushed out of them. It's never fast paced. Dark side is never ever okay, fast sure. paced. And yeah. I think that's the thing that animals. Same thing with Wish You Were Here. Wish You Were Here is never fast paced. It's sure. you know it, it's okay. got fun stuff in it. It's got really drawn out and stuff. This one has like bite and punch to it. Um, yeah. You know, and I think that was the oh, thing I totally that really agree. I identified with uh, this record in particular. It's, man, it's I, just a great flow, but it's not for everybody. And it, and it definitely, I like, know. if I were going to recommend a record to somebody, I like you were saying earlier, I think I would recommend Wish You Were Here before I'd recommend Dark Side, because Dark Side is, like, it's a little bit thick to get through for somebody who's, like, a generic everyday listener. You know, like, if you like that, you, you know the first song in Wish You Were Here? Imagine that yeah. thing built into the most epic song of all time for 40 fucking minutes. Go check out yeah. Dark Side, you know. So, I don't know, because I hear Pig's three different ones. Uh-huh. And I know, I saw a, uh, a video of Roger doing this song mm-hmm. in Mexico City in 2016. Uh-huh. Either right after or right before the election okay. of 2016. Okay. He's got Trump on the screen already or no? Oh yeah, <laughs> and it is not flinching. Yeah, like he right. is hardcore. Right, like putting Trump dressed as a pig on the screen, saying "haha, a charade you are." And I remember watching that a lot in the lead up to the twenty twenty election, and just thinking, like, man, I know a lot of a lot of artists are really anti-Trump. Sure. But man, who's doing anything like this? Right. Like that direct. Right. Like that, like that willing to alienate that many people from his audience. Yes. Yeah. Half of his audience possibly. Who I mean, like, oh, man, if it was a regular, if it was a regular yeah. distribution of just people who like Pink Floyd coming yeah. to see it. Yeah. Who who be like, oh man, fuck you, leave politics out of it, who like clearly have never heard <laughs> right. Pink Floyd before. The, the tour is literally called The Wall. Get fucked. Right. <laughs> right. You know, yeah, right. like it makes me crazy. But that's when I, I used to watch that video a lot. I watched it again recently, and it's like, man, that's again, it's it's really unflinching. Yeah. Like that is he's not fucking around. Right. And I I don't I again, I like it because I agree with it. Uh, not everyone does and okay, whatever. I, it's got I a lot like of stuff. Fact- like I, I hadn't thought about that cause I haven't, se- I think maybe I did see it when I saw that us and them thing recently, but like, yeah, it's like, haha, Sharad you are. And when your hand is on your heart, you're nearly mm-hmm. a good laugh. Like somebody yeah. playing the politics game, right? Just like Trump was and like any politician who's like, oh, I'm mm-hmm. I'm all about America. And it's like totally a joke, right? Yeah. Almost a joker so, with your head down in the pig pen saying, keep on digging. Pig stain on your yeah. fat chin. What do you hope to find down in the pig mine? You know? Um, yeah. Yeah, man. So one, one thing that I heard him say, this was before Trump was like hardcore running for president. This was right. like 2000... 14, maybe 15, and Roger was doing an interview with Jim Ladd, okay. which is a long, long time classic rock DJ. Okay. And someone wrote in and said, do you think Animals is still relevant today? 
like oh god unfortunately right probably yeah yeah roger yeah that's exactly what he said he was like <laughs> I, I i wish it wasn't yeah. i really wish it wasn't but unfortunately i think it is right but i yeah i in an ideal world we wouldn't talk about animals at all today right it would yeah. be a relic of the time right but yes unfortunately i think it's very relevant today right so and yeah i i totally agree with him yeah. i think it's i think i think his commentary on politics of the time have carried over to current days in a way that commentary of politics in the 70s haven't carried over I, I i don't know why that is like why i man i think it's a safe bet that he made there's probably people who made bets on other literary fiction yeah i, I he okay, made a bet I on I, george orwell who like coined the term big brother tell me if you've heard that one before okay like, I don't, I don't, i've never read 1984 it's one of those ones I'm like sure. yeah before i die I should really have a dark couple of months of my life where I read that book over a weekend and contemplate suicide for a long time. No, you know, Roger, but like Roger, it, because yeah. everything the guy said was a take on society and how dark and dystopian it can become. Sure, and it's and now it reads like a goddamn playbook, like a manual for how society mm -hmm. is structured. You know, and and my understanding of Animal Farm is, is it's a. Um, you know, it's a, uh, a social commentary on classes, right? And, and the working class versus yeah. the proletariat, you know, sort of a, I'm not sure if it's really the concept of communism or not, or like what it's pushing, or if it's just a concept of just a commentary on how things are and what the human species is like and what, you know, at least in Orwell's time, what the situation no, was, but like I, the, the natural conclusion to capitalism or communism and all the post-war shit you know, the basically the 20th century, all that stuff that's still playing out today in the 21st century, it's it's a long unwind, man. It's a long time until a revolution really happens. And when it does, it's yeah, Animal Farm in 1984 are going to look like relics of their time and be like, ha, remember back, time, back then when we were worried about there maybe being cameras everywhere? Like we didn't even conceive that they would be and they'd be in our pockets, you know? No, I, I think Roger made a bet. Yep. And he bet on and he the... he bet big. He, he bet on the worst instincts yep. of society. And here we are delivering. And he won. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. He, he absolutely bet right. Compared to we all would... of the protest songs, right? And the, um, yeah. what, give peace a chance, right? I no, mean, he, yeah, yeah. I mean, you could look back and say John Lennon was really naive, and yep. Roger was right by saying, fuck it all. These yep. people, anyone above you is against you. Yep. And he was right. Yep. I, he was really right about that. And animals, although it doesn't resonate with as many people because it's just more abstract, it's not as direct. Yeah. Um, it's dark, man. It's really man, dark. Oh, it's so it's dark. Really, it's, 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 it's really a hard antagonistic. Listen. I mean, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's a hard listen. It's yeah. not nearly as easy a listen. You gotta, as, like, if there was an album yeah. that you could go for a jog with from Pink Floyd, Animals, no question. No, if you want to just, if you want to just immerse yourself 
in anger. <laughs> and just sub- submit yourself to Pink Floyd. Yeah. Animals is the album. You think so? I feel that's Dark no, Side. No, no, Dark's but yeah, but Dark Side is too easy. Yeah. Dark Side is full of hits. Dark Side is full of like easily listenable songs, is, including uh, including Money, which is like not even like I, I I don't I don't care for Money. Yeah. Animals is the one that to me is like no, you want to dive into what these guys right. or Roger especially were really thinking. Yeah. Animals. Yeah. Animals is at its darkest. Right. Yeah. And it's it's just before the the wall, which is all like super anti-war. Yep. And 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 all about like sort of just the the path of life in general, right? Yeah. Um, and all the crossroads yeah. you you pass and all that kind of stuff. With animals, I get the resolute. There's sort of this like sort of forlorn little acoustic thing that Roger does at the beginning, and then it's this whole trip of anchor, just all the way through and there's these different yeah. turns where you kind of feel like maybe it's kind of maybe drifting left or right or something and then it turns right back into like right into the right into head on into traffic you know and and then it and then it has the same outro as the intro this little acoustic thing that roger does that's like a little pop song little like minute and a half blip but man like it's it's dense man and it's hard it's yeah. It, you know, it's dark side but angry and accusatory rather than dark side is questioning and dreamlike, like a dreamlike state, you know. Um, yeah, for sure. It, it's just is it it's a different experience. Yeah. And I think that's okay. Yeah. Like if you're going to be into a band, you have to be willing to like adapt and adjust. Yeah. To what they're doing and it's not going to be the same thing every time. Right. Well, and Pink Floyd is remarkable in that respect. I think that's one thing I've learned over these conversations we've been having and listening to the records, you know, back to back and some of the first records, which I'd never listened to before. Like, this band has made all kinds of stuff. And maybe you and I just have a particular taste where maybe we give animals a pass because we like everything around it so much or something, you know, or maybe we give Wish You Were Here a pass because like everything around it so much or something. But like, man... Metal is a different record than Dark Side. Metal is a similar record to Wish You Were Here. Dark Side is a similar record to Animals. The Wall and the Final Cut are the same record, you know, or whatever. But they're all like, there's two or sure. three, like, you know, different bands have the five songs they do over and over. The four, five templates of here's my heavy song. And when I do it, I like playing this way, like Black Sabbath, or I like playing like Alice in Chains or whatever, you know. Um, Pink Floyd has whole album templates that they did about two of towards the end of their career, each one of these different templates, you know, Momentary Lapse and and Division Bell obviously being the next one, right? Um, And they're good, man. I like all Mm -hmm. of them. And I don't know if that I give Mm -hmm. them a pass because Dark Side sold so many records or something. It's just, it's all listenable for different moods and... And I think that's that's a really important thing because like some of my favorite bands like Nine Inch Nails or Smashing Pumpkins, I gotta be in a certain mood. Like there, there's a certain range of emotions, and it's not yeah. a good feeling. I, Jane and I were listening to 1979 just today, and I was like, "Can you name another happy, genuinely happy Smashing Pumpkins song?" You know, today no. the song today, you know, today is the greatest day I've ever known. It's a song about suicide, so that one doesn't count. You know. It, it, 
there's not well, tonight tonight is kind of a love song sort of but if you listen to that record it jumps right into a heavy like you know grunge kind of like mad song right after it and stuff you know uh, pink floyd has like if you're feeling if you're feeling existential there's dark side for you if you're feeling existential I, after that just go listen to metal and just chill out you know i mean yeah but i feel like uh, I, I always describe pink floyd music as being quote sympathetic like it's very sympathetic to however you're feeling yeah that's a good way of putting it yeah like it, it, like it's not depressing. It just relates, right? Yeah. So, to 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 wrap this up, yeah, the, the Pink Floyd takes this show on the road, right? Which is interesting because like Dark Side takes off. Dark Side, record. yeah, Dark Side went on for like two and a half years, right? right. Like they just performed it nonstop. Wish You Were Here tour went on from like April to June. Yep. Two and a half months, and it was, three months. And it was and it was over. Yep. That was it. Take all 76 right? off. Yeah. Release this in 77. And so you then you have Animals and you have the the quote in the flesh tour. Yep. Which by all accounts was the like Tell me if you read differently, but this was the breaking point right. for the band. Yeah. This was like it sounds like the breaking point for Roger in particular. Yeah, 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 I, I, yeah. I agree. Yeah. So, like, basically, the In the Flesh tour, even though Animals itself was not huge, it was not as big as Dark Side, it was not as big as Wish You Were Here, but Pink Floyd had become big enough at that point where, like, they were basically selling out stadiums. Right? Like, they were, like, they were huge. And they were performing this album that was a little bit weird to be playing in stadiums because it was, like, pretty understated. Right. Animals. And they were being offered lots of money to continue it and play more and more cities in more and more stadiums. And it, to me, it sounds like Roger was like, no, I don't want to do that. Right. I got a quote here from him. Okay. I loathed playing in the stadiums. Uh, I kept saying to people on the tour, I'm not really enjoying this. You know, there's something very wrong with this. And the answer to that was, oh, really? Well, do you know we grossed over $4 million today? Now we can come to back <laughs> to that. Uh, on our next episode about the money sure. situation. Yeah. We've talked a little bit about Zeppelin's money. Um, and this is a decade after Zeppelin yeah. was like making tons of money right at the beginning or whatever. But the numbers that Pink Floyd throws around very casually is sure. out of this world. That's like a, yeah. if that was even correct, that would be a 20 million something dollar gross for a show today. Like just one show. Uh you know, right. in grosses before all the expenses and whatever, so the bunch goes to the stadium and whatever, but that's that's ridiculous. But at any rate, um my understanding from a couple of different videos I watched was the real culmination of this uh on this tour was uh a couple of things. One of them was did you hear about the firecrackers? In Montreal? I don't know if it was in Montreal. Was it? I'd, I'd heard that they were playing shows around so, July 4th, 
And there okay, were literally so people yeah. in the audience shooting off fireworks and firecrackers at so the band. Mon- that sounds like Montreal. That okay. is a um, discussion in itself. Sure. So if if that is what you're talking about, then yes, uh, we'll we'll talk about it. If that's not, then yeah. Well, just briefly, I think we yeah. can hit this more next episode because this really is where the wall comes from. I think. So, yeah, one hundred percent. But like, yeah, Roger's sitting up there. He's he's at this point. He's got headphones on that he listens to, which is like a precursor to what every artist today has, where they have a inner ear monitor that yeah. like basically yep. plays you know, their instrument louder than the others, or maybe just basically blocks it out and all they hear is their instrument or whatnot. Um, He has this, has these headphones, which seems isolative to begin with. They have situations where people in America and I guess elsewhere are literally in the crowd uh, setting fireworks and stuff off. There are little documentaries on YouTube where you can hear Roger Waters like telling them like, fuck off. Like it's in the middle of some song that's like nothing to do with like, you know, bombastic anything. Um, and, yeah. and my understanding is it all culminates or the, 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 the classic story of the culmination of it is there's a point where a, a fan is trying to get on the stage and maybe security is helping him or not helping him. Yeah. And Roger spits in this dude's face. And that yeah. so this is so the this is of, of so the this tour. Yeah, this is the last show of the tour. This is Montreal. And basically the crowd... So there's a problem in Montreal okay. where this stadium had just recently opened. Okay. And it was an architectural like marvel at the time. And this was one of the first real concerts at this stadium. To the point where there are pictures of Nick Mason and Roger Waters who were architectural students, remember? Like uh-huh. like they were and they're like walking around the stadium before the show with big smiles on their faces. Right. Like this place is fucking awesome. <laughs> right. Right. Which now it's a relic. That stadium is considered an absolute piece of trash. Right. Sure. But at the time, it was amazing. And so then during the show, yes, basically what happened was they started letting the crowd in like way early. And so, like, two hours before the show, there were 30,000 people in this stadium. Like, two hours before the show starts. So, what do they do? They drink. Right. And they get rowdy. And so, when the show starts, which, it's a Pink Floyd show. So, this is not Led Zeppelin. Right. And so, like, it's it's dogs. It's sheep. It's like, it's, this is not, like... A big time rock and roll show. Right. And the rock and roll and, moments come, but they come with five minutes of interludes, you know. Yeah, late later. And so the crowd is like shooting off fireworks. They're drinking, they're throwing beer bottles up on the stage. Man. And it's getting it's getting ugly. And someone, some kid, and I would love to find this kid. I've never seen any documentation of who it is. It's not your uncle? No. Well, he would t- he would tell you it is, but he's a fucking liar. <laughs> and so this kid gets real close. To, like, he's creeping out behind security, gets right up to the stage. And Roger keeps, t- Roger keeps like, motioning, like, yeah, come closer. Oh, really? 
And he says, like he said, like, come closer, piggy. Oh, no. Like, he's taunting him. Yeah. And finally the kid gets, like, right up by the stage, and Roger walks right up to him and spits in his face. Man. To the point where Roger realizes this is a turning point. Yeah. Like, this is not okay. Right. I feel bad for this incident. Yeah. And, and I, I, like, I'm... the. The, the touring is like the end of him. Like just, and it's, I, it's completely and, destroyed. Yeah. yeah. And I would prefer there be a wall yeah. between me and the audience. And this is where we stop because yeah. this is where the wall is born is in that show in Montreal. And I've even seen Roger Waters and Nick Mason recently talk about how that show in Montreal is what the wall was born out of. Awesome. So we'll talk about that next time. Yep, yeah, let's do it. All right.